conducting a little survey, and I'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, major. Art. Nuclear physics. Good. Very good. And phone numbers. Hi. Hi. I see you've met Lovejoy, one of our legendary lovers. Take a hike, Nash. Has he asked you if you wear panties yet? No. He will, right, Joe? And then comes the one about sexual fantasies, right? <laughs> Did I say something wrong? Stay out of my face, punk. What was that all about? He and his buddies throw some interesting bashes in the group sex. back to the bloody pit i am rod barnett and joining me again today to talk about a very strange and not particularly well-made film today <laughs> is my friend and yours bobby hazard how you doing bud hey what's going on glad to be back well last time we talked about nightmare beach uh an, an italian made well an italian made film done in florida and of course there were not just one of those things made by that same team of people there was uh, another film that they made around the same time with uh, pretty much the same crew. So the writer and director switched. Yeah, which is, which is uh, you know not that not that strange when you consider the deals that they were getting in Florida at the time to be able to film there. Uh, they were getting you know all kinds of tax breaks, and so it was really cheap for them to be able to come over and shoot there. And uh, th- this this time around, we're doing the uh, the other one. Uh, it's called Primal Rage. It came out in 1988, which I'm assuming means that this one was made first, since Nightmare Beach came out the, the following year. It's really confusing, because if you Google it, you'll see two different years. You'll see 1988 and 1990. Uh, no, I don't understand. Yeah. I think it came out in different different countries in a different year, Yeah. which by the time by the, by the time you get past about 84, 85, anything that could be termed a slasher film, which... In a way, this one kind of was, although we'll talk about yeah. how this one really doesn't fit the categorization of slasher completely. But anything that uh, by mid-80s, lots of films were getting made. As a matter of fact, way too many slasher films were being made independently because it was the boom times. And a lot of them sat on the shelves. That's how you know too many of them were getting made. A lot of them were getting sat on shelves for years at a stretch before they would ever get released. Well, hey, uh, you know, I wasn't looking at my notes when we started talking about this, but I did actually write this down here. It's released a year before Nightmare Beach. So, yeah, but at the same time, that 1990, that could be like maybe it didn't make it to Canada until 1990, yeah. or maybe it didn't make it to you know England until 1990. There are lots of th- there are lots or of released films. in the states till 1990. Who the heck knows? Yeah, it's hard to tell. <clears throat> so what we end up with is uh, a kind of uh, this is a, this is a very different film from Nightmare Beach, although it has kind of the same flavor. Uh, it only shares two actors, uh, one of them in a major role, one of them in a minor role. Yeah, but we get, uh, uh, we get Sarah Buxton again. Yeah, yeah, we get we get Sarah Buxton, the 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 lady whose uh, most fame and money was made doing uh, a lot of a lot of soap opera stuff. She was on uh, The Bold and the Beautiful from '87 
to 2005. So around the time that she was making these two movies, she was getting her start on uh, Bold and the Beautiful. And, uh, oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around that same time. I don't know that she became a, uh, a regular at that time, but she definitely stuck around for a, well, for 15 years, 15, 16 years wow. as, as a regular on that show. And she also did fairly lengthy stints on a couple of other soap operas as well, sprinkled with a bunch of TV movies that whole time. So her career went really well. And I do wonder... Um, not been able to find out for sure. I do wonder how she looks back on these two uh, low-budget Florida Italian-made horror films from the beginning of her career. So, you know, uh, there's one other big-name actor in this movie. Didn't have anything to do with the prior movie. But True. Uh, he's been in uh, everything. Uh, Bo Svensson. Yep. Dr. Etheridge. Actor, writer, producer. He was has been in the Grammy Academy since 1985. Or is it Oscar Academy? Oh, he was in the Grammy Academy for Grammy something. Academy. I can't yeah, remember yeah. what for. I, I think can't remember. I think he did. Well, he did a lot of different stuff. For me, the I think the first place that most Americans ever took note of him was when he took over the Buford Pusser role in the sequels to Walking Tall. That's right. Uh, he was in both Inglorious Bastards films. Yeah, he was uh, one of the major characters in the original Inglorious Bastards, which is a truly fantastic film, highly recommended. And he did so many movies over the year. Um, over the years, I should say, if if you've never seen the film, the football film North Dallas Forty, he has a great he has a great role in that, and uh, it's just a it's also just a really good movie about uh, what it takes to be a professional football player and the pure hell you put yourself through, and that was back in 1979 for God's sake. Yeah, if uh, if if you're a fan of this podcast, you'll probably recognize him in The Curse Two, <laughs> yes, Beyond the yes. Door Three, and Kill Bill Volume Two. Yep, yep, thank God. He did uh, a shit ton of television. Uh, he even had a role in uh, he had a role in uh, the uh, Chuck Norris film, Delta Force. That's right. Let's just say that Bo Svensson, he is this movie's John Saxon. You are correct, sir. You always got to have, at least for the, at least for you know anything that you thought was going to be able to make some money in the theater, you had to have a name actor that you could put in there that people, people were going to recognize on the movie poster, if, nothing, if nowhere else, to kind of pull in the rubes, to get those butts in seats. And so in Nightmare Beach, they had John Saxon. In this movie, they've got Bo Svensson. And uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is the way it usually flows as far as... I was a little surprised at how little screen time Svensson has mm. compared to John Saxon's role. But then again, John Saxon was like a real asshole. His character was a jerk in, <laughs> yeah. Nightmare, in Nightmare Beach, whereas Bo Svensson's character... Really, kind of isn't an asshole in this movie until you get into the last few until scenes. Until the very end, until the very end, where his ambition really kind of pushes things in the wrong direction. Hard. He does seem like, a, to me, kind of seems like a creepy asshole, but it doesn't really come out till right. later in the film exactly what he's going to do. Um, it's clear he's a mad scientist at that point, but not uh, not necessarily a dick. So. Uh, third most famous person in this movie, ah. uh, Patrick Lowe, Sam Nash. He is the first victim in Slumber Party Massacre 2. I know. And that's one of only, like, I think he was in, like, four movies. Yeah. Uh, he was also on three episodes of Quantum Leap in 1989. I know. It's one of those things where you look at his, you look at his resume and you go, well, that was short. 
Yeah. And I tried really hard to find out what else. What, well, like, he obviously stopped being an actor. I wonder what the hell he did, but I can't find anything. Yeah, it doesn't say anything. Uh, other people in this movie, it's just interesting to, like, look these people up and see what they've done. Uh, Cheryl Arrett, I guess I'm saying her name right. Oh, uh, yeah, Laura what a Bingham. career she's had post. Yeah, I know. TV uh, TV commercials in the 80s and 90s. I think, is she, a verb, invol- a verb, uh, is she involved with a commercial firm or something like that? I, I don't so. know, but... I can't write it right For now. years now, she's bec- she's been a, a clinical... She, she stopped being an actress in the early 2000s and went back to school... And became a clinical psychologist. That's got to be what it is. Uh, yeah, well, she her 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 main practice is in Beverly Hills, where she uh, works wow. primarily with creative artists, actors, every kind of creative artist in the world. And she's even like an expert witness in trial cases and and uh, things of that nature. Uh, as a matter of fact, I I was I was really stunned to find out about her career. She's been doing that for quite some time and is very well thought of in the industry. Oh wow! Uh, and to the point where I actually watched a video of her walking through uh, this weird. There was this weird interview where Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith had this very public conversation about uh, the this period of time in their marriage where they were separated, and Jada Pinkett Smith went off and and started having quote unquote an entanglement. <laughs> With this, with this other guy, and I don't know why these two people felt the need to make this video, this interview of the two of them talking to each other about this and put it out there. But, mm-hmm. but essentially, Cheryl uh, Cheryl Allred, who's an actress in Primal Rage, is sitting there with someone else talking about this interview and, and breaking down, you know, kind of the the emotional areas in which these two people are talking to each other about this problem in their marriage, and you're just like. Holy shit! What in the hell am I watching? How how did this happen? I just watched this movie in this weird ass you know animal attacks movie from 1988. What in the fuck am I seeing? So she's clearly had an incredible career post you know acting, but uh, she's still on you know still involved in celebrities and music professionals and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's you know not everybody uh, makes you know, not everybody who makes their living from the uh, the Hollywood game. Is actually always on screen, folks. So that's a good uh, segue into Doug Sloan, the guy that plays Lovejoy. Mm-hmm. He is mainly a behind-the-scenes animal wrangler, and he's had random credits as an actor, nothing really that notable. But he's been in a lot of movies as an animal wrangler. That's kind of been his main career. That was kind of interesting. And uh, Mitch Watson, the guy that played Duffy. He is a, a producer for animated uh, kids TV shows. A lot uh, of them. Yeah. A lot of them. He's done anything you'd recognize from like Ben Ten. He wrote like the Ben Ten TV movie. Wow. He did an episode of Freakazoid in the nineties. He's he does he did voices on the shows and then broke yeah. into being a producer and a writer. So he was like a main producer and writer on Beware the Batman. Did some stuff on Duckman in the nineties. Uh, was involved com- with the complete run of all three seasons of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, including writing a lot of episodes of it. And it's you know it's one of those things where you're just like these days he's been he's been doing this uh, this offshoot of the Madagascar animated films called All Hail King Julian, where he's written a, just a slew of the episodes and is the, one of the executive producers on the entire series. And it's just you look at this guy and he's like, yeah, he found his niche and it had, you know, it, it, it's doing animated voices and producing animated shows. And it's like more power to him, man. But he, he he's the guy who plays Duffy, the gonzo journalist in this. And just from seeing him in this movie, you would have thought he would have, you know, he, he might have wanted to keep at the acting thing. But by 
10 years later, he was segueing heavily into doing voices yeah. and working in animation. It's like, hey, whatever makes him comfortable. It's obviously made him a shit ton of, money, ton of money. And just a side note, he was also in one other film in the 90s, another horror film called Rush Week. Oh, which I've still never seen. I've never seen it either. I've heard, I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. So uh, this time around... <laughs> this time around for these these crazy so we're talking about how the directors and the writers switched out well Umberto Lindsay under the pseudonym Harry Kirkpatrick wrote this yes movie. yes yes and this time we have Vittorio Rambaldi who's a son of Carlo Rambaldi he and you did. might yeah you might I was about to say you might know Carlo Rambaldi because he's the man who made E.T. he's the guy who built the actual E.T. as well as a whole lot of other creatures that you've seen on screen for decades if you watched any Italian movies or even some American movies to be honest and from what I've read on this movie, uh, he uh, Carlo works on this movie as a favor to his son. It's the last film he worked on. That's a shock to me. I did not. Yeah, I did not know that. I, I did not know when uh, Carlo stopped, you know, working in film. But I mean, that makes sense. So. Yeah, uh, and uh, Vittorio really didn't do that much. He did one other film called Decoy in 1995, which I know nothing about. So. Yeah, I think he stayed primarily. I don't think the directing gig worked out for him as well as he may have hoped, but uh, he kind of stayed in the family business of uh, special effects and things of that nature. Yeah, but uh, I love the fact that Lindsay is just using this Harry Kirkpatrick name again. It just amuses the living shit out of me. (laughs) I always wonder. You look look back and it's like, okay, Antonio Margariti had uh, Anthony Daisies. And they quickly realized, okay, Anthony Daisy's is not going to work. It's, a, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a decent translation of his family name. So they went with Anthony Dawson. So you can see how they came up with Antonio Margariti's pseudonym, Americanized yeah. pseudonym. But there are a lot of them where they're clearly just pulling names out of a hat. It's like what? It's like what do you? What? What? What, what do you want to be called? You know? It's like I want to be Harry Kirkpatrick. It's like, did you think that was a penis joke? I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he does seem like a penis joke. I was just thinking about that. It kind of does, but I can't figure out how. It's like Harry Kirkpatrick. I don't know. Maybe he thought it was a penis joke. Maybe Italians hear the word Kirkpatrick in a different way. Maybe it sounds like an Italian word that we don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, uh, do we want to get into the music before we get into the movie? Yeah. Once again, much like Nightmare Beach, this is a movie that seems kind of overstuffed with a lot of pop music or and metal music from the period. But let's um, be honest, that's what a lot of movies were doing at the time, a lot yeah, of American I know. films. I mean, there were there are a lot of movies, uh, especially from the 1980s, where the vast majority of the money made from producing the movie was from sales of the soundtrack albums. And I know that sounds strange, but that is true. Oh, it was bread and butter back in those days. And so, and that may have even continued up through the '90s. I can't even remember before, before the down- early '90s. Yeah, yeah, before the down- before downloads totally destroyed any kind of any kind of way to to, to make that a, a way to earn a lot of money from a film film soundtrack. I think I the know. last thing I remember like having random bands on a soundtrack is like the the Tales from the Tales from the Crypt movies. It may have maybe yeah. Tales maybe Tales from the Dark Side too. I know Tales from the Crypt because they they had that one that had like all the rap bands on it because it was a Tales, Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably one of the last ones I can remember. I'm sure there's others, but that's just yeah. I mean, there's like for uh, uh, for instance, uh, I know like Tank Girl from '95. The soundtrack album made a shit ton more money than the movie did. Yeah, because they had a lot of popular bands from the day. Well, and not only that, they had a, I mean, they had uh, like a, a, you know, like covers, uh, you know, a couple of interesting covers of like Cole Porter songs and things like that. And oh, people yeah. were just like, oh my god, this is incredible. And it's like, yeah, it is. But the only way you can get it was that you know, Tank Girl soundtrack album. So there was a lot, there was a lot of that going on, and it's kind of something. I don't know if they did they still do that kind of thing anymore. 
I don't think they do. Not as much. I actually do kind of miss that because uh, you know I wish I'd have gotten those like those Nightmare on Elm Street records with all the various bands on it because yeah. they're worth a lot of money now and there's a lot of good bands like uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street Four had the Sea Hags on it. They're <laughs> they're awesome. There's there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, uh, for Record Store Day a while back, uh, they did the Bad Channels soundtrack. They did actual oh, score yeah. Yeah. and then that the Blue Oyster Cult did, and they did all the random bands. And there's one band I cannot remember their name unless I'm looking at the record, but it was a it was Ron Kill's new band. And he had all female musicians playing behind them. They're actually in Bad Channels. <laughs> And I'm just laughing, going, of course you're going to do this. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the bizarre nature of this movie. And um, like I said, this is... We'll talk about we'll talk about different songs as we go along, because there's one song that this movie runs into the ground, and I want it to be eradicated from my memory. <laughs> you should definitely play it on the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm, I hate to say it, but to give... i tell you what. Everybody, there is a song that is repeated in this movie... Somewhere between three and seven billion times. I don't it, know exactly the number. It lasts forever. Ever. And the fake band that plays it is even even plays it on a stage at the Halloween party in the final third of the movie. Uh, I tell you what, <clears throat> it's called "Say the Word" by the Facade Band. Yes, and I tell you what, folks, we'll take a break real quick, and I'll let you. So- I'm gonna let you hear this song for yourself. How do you like that? Say the word. Uh, folks, now picture that song. If you've not seen this movie, and you're going to know whether you want to see this movie or not by the time we're done telling you about it, imagine hearing that song at least three more times over That's the course the of over the, over the course of 87 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, maybe tolerable once past that, you're ready to start murdering musicians. It needs to stop. So uh, I jumped. I jumped down a, a discog's wormhole trying to figure out who in the hell this band is. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the only other listing that you have is like a IMDb listing for the soundtrack, right? But um, this apparently was probably just a fake band. The credits say the song was written and produced by Greg Bonham. If it's the same Greg Bonham, the only one I found on discogs, he's an Australian singer, unknown in his home country, really popular in Russia. He's also a Las Vegas performer 
and uh, he died two years ago in July 2018. Oh, that's a shame. I hope I, I hope my my hatred of his song does not. Uh... <laughs> I didn't go and listen to anything else he did because it just looked like it would be terrible, but. A lot of it was in Russian, if that tells you anything. Wow, really? That's odd. Yeah, he does, he hasn't put out that much. Well, I gotta say... He needed 50 bucks. Say the word, if you pay attention to the lyrics, does feel as if it's being written uh, as a translation from a foreign language. So, I just thought, I always would have assumed it would be Italian, but who the hell knows? Well, you know, I did actually look through some of his albums to see if Say the Word was on anything, and what I skimmed through, I did not see it again. So, mm, well, this might be a one and done. Most of the music in this, well, we should say that the score is, is credited to Claudio Simonetti. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Claudio Simonetti of Goblin fame, who also uh, was credited with the score on uh, Nightmare Beach. But most of the music in this does tend to be the songs. There are areas where a score does pop up. But it's really strange in that two of the songs, and we'll talk about them as we go along, two of the songs are shared by another movie that Claudio Simonetti did the score for. Yes, sir. That is the Steel Grave songs. Um, yeah. Uh, Nights, uh, Nights of the Night in Steel Grave. They also appeared in Opera, the Dari Argento film. Which is odd because those would have been in production roughly at the same time as this. Yeah. So I wonder if one production or the other realized that these songs were being used by two different movies and whether there were any harsh words said about that at any point after that. I don't know. It's the thing is, uh, if you look through a lot of, in, in the credits at the end, if you look through a lot of it, you'll see produced by Walkman. Produced by Walkman, that yeah. was Simonetti. If that was Simonetti, that means that he really had a hand in either creating that fake band or, or get, kind of shepherding all these musicians, all these different bands, into being on this movie's soundtrack, which is not a shock. Yeah. He would, I mean, you, if you hire somebody like that, you're, you're kind of putting them in control of getting all of the music needed to get you through the entire film. So. Now, if my memory serves me right, I believe the only two songs uh, that weren't produced by him would be I Want to Be a Marine and the Friends song. I think everything else you'll see produced by Walkman, produced by Walkman. So he had something to do with everything. So he had something to do with Steel Grave, and he did yeah. the soundtrack for opera, bring it on over. Uh, but... Uh, Steel Grave is actually a uh, Italian hard rock band called Gal, and uh, apparently uncredited in the movie, they have a song called Headbangers that is also on there. Um, I actually went and listened to a couple of Gal songs on YouTube, and uh, how are they? They're great. If you like what you heard on the movie, you're gonna like them. 
That's interesting. I, they're an Italian band. They came. They're supposedly from Turin, Italy. Um, the the song these the, the two songs that are used in this and opera, they were recorded as uh, a nineteen uh, as a demo in 1987. So I'm assuming those songs have been shopped around for a while. Yeah. And so they the fact that they ended up in two movies. I hope these guys got paid well. <laughs> Because they were, they, I mean, like I say, they they Steel Grave is a is it's a band that never existed. It's just an invented band for for the yeah. credits on these songs. Yeah, I don't really know the history behind that because I think if my memory serves me correct, uh, Gal had been around since the early '80s, I think. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they, I don't, yeah, I don't think they, they got an album out until like '89. Am I? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't but, remember. I, did, I didn't. I looked it up a few days ago, and of course now. And now, of course, it is gone out of My mind is like a sieve. <laughs> now, the one interesting thing about this movie, I just want to stop right here and say, every band that is on here, except for the facade band, actually has physical releases for these songs. Oh, really? Okay. Every band. Because I was actually like, oh, well, this band has a release for this, so I'll buy it. And then I realized everybody does. I'm like, well, maybe I won't go and buy it. <laughs> because it was, like, it was like one thing, yeah, but now it's like you know a whole bunch of things. I'm like, yeah. It would have been nice if there was if, if this this movie actually had a soundtrack album that you could purchase but of course mm. that's that's far outside the realm of this kind of uh, low budget Italian production so yeah well this company's like a Z grade um, canon so <laughs> <laughs> which is already a D grade company in the first yeah you're right you're, you're probably right um well, let's talk about Primal Rage. Earlier, we... we oh, we didn't finish the, mu- the music. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was... A, what no, was no. A, we still got more. Oh, Just my God. Just a little God. bit. Yeah. Okay, okay. Got, well, what other songs have we got? What do we got? Okay. So, uh, this will be real easy. Uh, Face to Face by Valentina. The only known 12 is by that artist. Okay, okay. Nothing else about her. It's just a few remixes and then done.
of the more annoying songs in the soundtrack that from the bar scene, I oh Want to Be a Marine. Yeah, yeah. By Mondo Bafo with Scorpion. It's actually a reworked rap version of their song. So Mondo Bafo only put out two singles. The original single for I Want to Be a Marine and then the rap version. <laughs> um, so some, something of note, uh, Scorpio is actually Edward Morris. Edward Morris was in Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Wow. Okay. I did not expect that. Yeah. Um, the keyboard player, John Versace, he played piano on The Revolution by David Byrne. So uh, John Versace played piano on The Revolution by David Byrne, which is on the record, Look Into the Eyeball. And then on his next record, Undi Felice Terria on Grown Backwards. Okay. Really the only credits I could find by him uh, anywhere in the future. Yeah, Mondo Bafo's kind of a one-and-done band, but... uh, That's something you run into a lot with... I hate to put it this way, but as someone who who grew up looking at all these soundtrack albums that we're talking about, where they were, you know, these these compilation albums that essentially put together wrapped around the idea of a, of a movie as a hook, a lot of the bands that ended up on them were kind of flash-in-the-pan bands. They, mm-hmm. they came and they went really quickly with their one-shot-at-fame probably being this soundtrack song that they got. So Never Too Late to Love You by Kissing the Pink. Yes, yeah. I know, Kissing the Pink. They were a real band. That's really how I could tell you. Which, which is a shock. Because I would have assumed that a band called Kissing the Pink would have actually been a fake band. So. Yeah. Uh, Friends by Amy Stewart. Here's an interesting one. She was an American disco singer, mostly remembered for the single Knock on Wood. Oh, okay. Uh, in yeah. 1985, this song on this soundtrack was number one in several European countries and number 12 in the UK. Wait a minute. What song was that? Friends. The, the, the song that's in this movie? Yeah. Holy Jesus. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, I know. She, she has an... Incredibly long discography. is Love Is My Mania by the Fast Food Girls, which is an Italo disco band oh produced by Simonetti. Of course. Who also wrote the song under the pseudonym Claude King. <laughs> so he wrote the song. Oh, well. And once again, only another, single by another, this band. 
Uh, only single by this band. Yeah. And, of course, yes, another pseudonym from Claudio Simonetti, of course. Is this, uh, Simonetti had his hands in almost everything except for, I want to be a Marine and Friends. That's really <laughs> it. But, I mean, are we really surprised with this? No, no. I mean, th- that's why you hire somebody like that, because he's got all these connections and he knows all these music- musicians and he can pull together a soundtrack album for you. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Simonetti has re-recorded uh, Profondo Rosso again, apparently. I just saw that on Facebook the other day. Honestly, as somebody who's seen him perform live, that dude can do anything he wants to because I don't care who he pulls together, it's always it's always good listening. I'm not going to disagree. Uh, both versions of Goblin, they're highly exploitive in their uh, output, we'll yes. say. But you know what? I love it so much, I'll buy it anyway. Of course, care. man, of course. I mean, it's just, it's Goblin. Even, even uh, you know, decades later, well, for, uh, let, let, let's just say that it, it, it did my heart good to be able to sit in a, to sit in a, uh, an auditorium and to listen to the score for Suspiria being performed live by Claudio Simonetti. That was yeah. a dream come true. That was wonderful. So, and you were at the the Fritzy show too back this past December. No, I missed the Fritzy show. Ooh, I, I know, yeah, I know, I know. So good. I should have been there, and I I, I missed the Fabio Fritzy. Yeah, I know. And but, even though I have some, uh, I couldn't afford to buy everything, but he re-recorded and did a director's or composer's cut of um, the Beyond. Really, and uh, with the band that he played with, and what he was playing. That night was really amazing. Oh, I don't doubt that. Uh, me and John Hudson were sitting up front. We just scooted chairs up, sat down, watched it, enjoyed the shit out of everything. In Nashville, there should have been more people there, but everybody there that was there was blown away. Oh, I mean, that's, you know, and eventually, understandable, yeah. Yeah, the, I, the, did, the records they, are really they, expensive, though, so. Where did I, he play? Uh, Exit Yeah, that should have been, yeah. yeah. There was uh, three separate 45s, which were like, I think sixty dollars. I don't know wow. those. And then there was the record. You could have got an autographed version of the record, which I wish I would have, because it was already out of print at that time. Jeez. Um, but uh, the place is doing it is going to repress it. It's um, I can't remember the name of the record label, but they do a lot of stuff with composers where people are like doing Edgar Allan Poe over them. Might be Cauldron Records. I don't think that's right. I don't know. I'll, I have to remember. does it take these uh, brain cells to start uh, revitalizing? With the rats, uh, psychoplasmic regeneration took about 20 minutes. How much of its lost capacity can it expect to regain? All of it. 100%. Not bad. What do you mean, not bad? No one has ever revitalized a damaged brain cell. No one. You're witnessing the most significant breakthrough in modern medical history. <laughs> Okay, once again, this sometimes gets lumped in with slasher movies. Really not a slasher movie. It has some slasher elements as you go along, 
but it's not a slasher film in my opinion. This is much more a combination of a bizarre mad scientist meets animal attacks meets rage virus kind of thing. It's uh, almost a zombie movie, but not a zombie movie. In a weird way, it kind of does. And it is really kind of weird and creepy to notice just how much was uh, apparently just stolen outright for the movie 28 Days Later. Uh, This is, in a lot of ways, a variation on 28 Days Later, only, you know, 15, 16 years early. So this is... it It may be done a little bit dumber. Oh, definitely done done with less money, done with less uh, talent, (laughs) and done with less skill in in some of the uh, specifics of how they move from one element of the story to another. And let's let's be honest. uh, This this virus that starts, we really at any no point have any idea what the fuck it actually is. No, no, we have no idea. We're fucking clueless. We just know it's something that is there. Well, here's what we know. We know, and this this the. This is this is what you're into the plot of it. There's a uh, the, the character played by Bo Svensson is Doctor Etheridge, and uh, what it is is he's been he's been working uh, uh, in a lab on this this generic Florida college campus for 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 a while, bankrolled by a pharmaceutical company, because he's been trying to find a way to quote unquote restore dead brain tissue. Which, a totally laudable thing. At least this guy is not attempting to, you know, create new life or do something completely, obviously insane. So this guy's actually got good goals in mind, and the question becomes whether or not he's doing what he's doing ethically or not. But since his is, it's a question of how he's treating his lab animals. And by the way, there only seems to be one lab animal. We'll get to that. It's not like he's got like a host of, of rats that you can see the corpses of all over the place where he's been like working his way through an entire species or something like that. No, he's only got the one lab animal. But so Bose Vincent as Dr. Etheridge is working to try to restore brain tissue, which is all well and good. But somehow, somehow he uh, has created and he doesn't even know this until it breaks out of his lab, which I think kind of gives him an out as far as being a dick in the initial process of this, which is he doesn't know that what he's created is essentially a rage virus that once transmitted to humans turns people into uh, murder-crazed lunatics. And we're not really, as viewers, are given much of a clue as to what's going on until it happens. Until Yeah, until it's dropped in our laps and we move from, wow, he's definitely sick with something to, oh, he's sick and murderous. He's sick and willing to like latch onto somebody and kill them. What the hell is going on here? I just want to know how like how high or how drunk Lindsay was when he was writing this movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I, I started thinking. Okay, this is definitely uh, the, the the idea of the uh, infected lab animal that bites a human being and transmits a disease to them. That's very much something that comes out of you know, decades of horror movies of different types. And I was trying to look around and try to figure out what what movie would Lindsay have seen that would have given him this. And to be honest, I think that it, it just boils down to there's being a lot of those types of stories that it seems like a almost a well even by 1988 a well a well worn story idea that would be a good thing to kind of fold into and make your horror movie different from the pack. And I think that's the reason this exists. The reason the rage virus this yeah. whole animal thing starts is it's a it's a way to make a horror movie that can be sold as partially a slasher movie 
but has a very different way to get you to the slasher part. You don't have you don't have a mysterious mask wearing lunatic who you know has some hidden hidden possibly sexual motivation for running out and killing people. What you have are infected people who go crazy and kill people, and it's like been done before, but. At least it can be slotted into that slasher category, which I'm sure they still thought was the profitable way to go. Yeah. It could almost be like a, a mini, not a living dead on a college campus. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. yeah. Similar I mean, thing. And of course, yeah, yeah. Not, the, the not a living dead idea is pretty good, except that these are definitely the kinds of, um, shall we say, energetic, zombie-like Creatures mm. that you would see in something like Return of the Living Dead from a few years. Oh before. yeah, absolutely. So this is the, the, if you're looking for something that visually they probably seem to have been using to tee off on, mm. it would have been Return of the Living Dead, where you've got this yeah. this infection passed by a bite or a scratch that then turns someone into a you know a murderous monster. It's kind of ironic we're doing a uh, infection. Disease kind of thing is a concert <laughs> going on right now. <laughs> as, yeah, as we exist in COVID hell, exactly. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it, I don't think it's lost on any of us that we, you know, the way we record these things, the way we do, the way we go about being careful with our days and being careful about how we uh, interact yeah. with other people. If any of those protocols were in place and we didn't have Gonzo journalists breaking fucking baboons out of labs, that's <laughs> 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 what happens in this fucking movie. We'd all be a lot better off. But nevertheless. This movie. Okay, let, let's let's talk about the opening credits of this movie. I was about to say, let's start at yeah. the beginning because we let's, we really got a lot to say about this. I got I got man, I got shit to say. Okay, the opening credits of this movie are used to introduce us to the main character, who is um, Sam Nash. Sam Nash, played by um, oh darn it, I lost the character thing. Uh, I got it written here. Somewhere. Patrick Lowe, played by Patrick Lowe. Thank you very much. And it, it becomes a question of. Um, we're silently introduced to this while the while the music plays over the opening credits. We see him mopeding around this college campus with his camera because he's very clearly a photographer. We find out that he's also a, a kind of he works with the the campus newspaper and apparently is a student, although we never see him in a class. And by the way, this scooter, yeah, pretty sure same scooter from Nightmare Beach. You mentioned that to me earlier before we were recording, and that. That does not surprise me. <laughs> it should way. not at all. It's the same production crew. Exactly. It's the same. It's the same people making the same two movies. But it's still one of those moments where you're just like, "Oh, that makes a shit ton of sense, doesn't it?" So, uh, <laughs> but of course, it does make me wish to, that I paid more attention and wondered if maybe the uh, the tricked out murder motorcycle was somewhere in this movie as well. One <laughs> uh, can only hope. Uh, <laughs> The, the the opening credits just really bring me back to the late 80s. Like, for me, it was high school, like, when this was going on. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, random college kids in acid-washed denim or white jeans, puffy high tops, doing whatever around the campus. Well, it's 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 those 80s fashions, yeah. And uh, one thing I put in my notes is, what the hell kind of exercises are those girls doing? It looks like they're just those thrashing weird, about. Those weird outdoor aerobics yeah. kind of... I, what, first, why are they doing them outside other than to show off their asses, which it seems yeah. to be the, the main point of what's being shot? Uh, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't get it. But there are there are strange... Okay, so as our main character is driving around and taking photographs of things on campus, this is introducing us to the location, the main character, and just kind of the fact that we're definitely in Florida. There's no way to fuck around. We're really on location in Florida. 
I think it's like Florida International University or some shit like that. I forget, I forget what they're calling it in there, but it was clearly shot in Miami. I yeah. mean, that's where they yeah. shot both these movies. So the question becomes, why are they showing us some of the things they're showing us and just how staged might they be? And you brought up the lawnmower earlier. Yeah. So there's a there's there's two different shots of the couple making out. In the second shot, there's a guy on a lawnmower that's going to drive past them, but he is maybe less than two inches away from them. At the most, at the most, a foot away from them, and I'm thinking, no, 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 I don't care how lip locked I am, reclined on a grassy field. Once a lawnmower is that close, I'm getting up, <laughs> I'm or I'd be going, area. what the hell? <laughs> it's like, dude, it's obviously you, you, you clearly you've got a job to do, mow this grass, and I, you know, I'm making out with this woman, and it's trust me, something I want to do, but at the same time, you know, I'm probably gonna leave the area and try my luck. Someplace else. You don't want any grass being shot on you. No. Or whatever else might get me shot out by a lawnmower. That's something that anybody with a chipped windshield has learned long ago. Don't want to stain those acid wash pants. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, okay. The depleted front, depleted front jeans that I saw repeatedly. Oh yes, missed. you see that a lot. Oh, that was a big thing God. back then. Yes, I know. And they've they've returned it a few years ago. The pleated front jeans. They've been back for about ten years. Oh, it's by I kids know. that go to thrift stores that don't know any better. It's like, oh, nobody wears <laughs> these. We all wear these. So now it came back. But it's not acid wash anymore. You know what it is now? No. Mineral wash. Really? What's the I difference? Dead ser- there is no difference. <laughs> so they're just There's calling no it difference. something different. Oh. So oh. for any of you young kids that are wearing acid wash jeans and you'd be like no no it's mineral wash no it's the same fucking thing you are a sucker if you believe it's anything else oh my god this, you know I learned something new every day this I didn't want to learn so we are introduced to our main character who is I'm sorry as an actor Patrick Lowe seems to be a very nice guy actually he's pretty good in this movie I gotta be honest the guy's pretty good he's not but bad. as we are introduced to him during the credit sequence, I'm so I'm already ready to punch him in his smiley face. He smiles. It's as if he knows that if he smiles that smile, I can get away with anything. But the character isn't an asshole, so it's not like he needs to get away with anything. He's just deploying that smile like uh, like a, like like someone just preemptively firing a weapon to make sure nobody's worried about it, anything that he's got to say. You kind of want to smack his ass after a while. He's yeah. like he's like Johnny White guy. <laughs> he really is. I mean, he is just like the, the whitest Johnny. white dude. <laughs> Johnny White guy. Johnny <laughs> White guy. Yes. Yes, indeed. Holy freaking hell. So uh, I, I took three more notes. Everything's going on in the credits. That just amused the shit out of me. Studying couple annoyed by a guy practicing trombone. <laughs> Which okay, since we can't hear the guy with the trombone because there, it's just you know it's, it's shot silent, so we can hear the the freaking god awful song over the credits. That's that's where we are. It'd be great if he's playing like the fat guy song, like <laughs> a family guy. <laughs> uh, uh, my mother note was that dude in the blue sweater with a mustache is not a student. <laughs> he's just, just some he's guy a, wandering around. He's a predator. <laughs> He's 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 just looking for barely legal ladies. <laughs> yeah, he's just just uh, faking, faking that he's a student so he can pick up on some ladies. Um, <laughs> he's he's got some random books that he's holding in his arm just so he can now, pretend. Strangely enough, it does take me back to a guy I know. I'll I'll, I'll leave the name of the band out, but a, a band from Texas that was uh, popular in the punk rock scene I was involved in. 
uh, he was the bass player in that band, and he um, he had a thing about Asian girls. So he would go to coffee shops that he knew Asian girl, Asian people would hang out at yeah. with the book like he's trying to study Japanese to pick oh, up on Asian girls. Wow. <laughs> that, that just made me think of that. I'm trapped between wanting to think of that as clever and sleazy. I'm trapped between those two. It's 50-50. Yeah, yeah. It's clever, it's sleazy, but it's not terrible. No, no, no. I mean, it's, you know. If, it once could you start be doing talk, a lot worse. What, yeah, once you start talking to someone, I mean, if, you, if, it, if it doesn't become clear that this is probably, that this person is on the make, then hey, you know, what, what can yeah. you say? Hey, you know, movie people won't get this joke, but at least he's not involved with Burger Records. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'll just keep moving along here. Uh, Next, tug of war over a pile of poop. What 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 is going? What are you talking about? What is that? There's a tug of war. You oh, remember? that's right. Yeah. That's right. That actual tug of war with a rope. Yeah, and My the, first he, impression was tug of war over a pile, pile of poop. Of poop. Yeah. They they clearly created a little mud hole there. <laughs> to, just just for the hell of it, there somewhere on campus, and it seems to be very organized. I I, I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. And uh, last note here before we move on to the movie, uh, he's at uh, our hero is at the American fist, uh, excuse me American African festivities '88. The first thing they cut to after you see the balloon is a white dude playing drums. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, well, what? <laughs> well, that is Florida. It's not like there are any black people around. How can we have black people at an African festival? Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, it, 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 and what I love is that that footage is under the credits of this of this festival. It's very clearly, you know, just lucky footage. They just, oh, yeah. this is going on. We have the actor we're, here. Yeah. Let's have them wander around, take some images. Yeah. We're good. We get this footage in the can, and we can use it later on. And it cements this movie as taking place in that year. Yeah. But <laughs> it also is one of those things where you're just like, you're in your editing, and in your editing, you're also taking... Spe- you're taking specific images and making making it clear that you could just be making fun of these people. <laughs> you know, you really could. You really could. And you, you just pointed out one of the first moments where it's just like, are they making? Are these Italians making fun of these white intentional, boys? Intentional, unintentional. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. And there's more than a few moments like that throughout the movie. Find your own people as you go along. Okay, so we're introduced to our main character. Uh, yeah, our main character Sam Nash uh, saves our love, our lovely permed young heroine from getting her car towed, and then as Miss Lauren. Yes, yes, and this this is really weird. Uh, the the whole uh, you know finding a way to get the uh, the tow truck guy to drop the car without having to pay him some money. Nice, it, it is a nice guy thing, and the way he goes about it is pretty good. Not calling it unbelievable. I'm saying that it's typical movie meat cute bullshit. And but it's done well enough. It's done well. It's pretty flat for a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh and we're off to the races. Uh, I just wanted to, I want to note that uh, I love the truck it is called Pepe Towing Service. Not Pepe's. Pepe. Pepe. Yes. Yeah. It's I, I, I don't get it. I do I do wonder. There are points in both of these movies, Nightmare Beach and this film, where I think that some of the people that they're employing are just people who actually... In other words, I wonder if that was just a real tow truck guy that they hired to do this, and they coached him to just deliver the lines that they needed to deliver. 
Yeah. And he did it. He did it well. He did it. Yeah, he, did, he, did, he, did, he was fine. But I do wonder if he, if that's just what the situation was. I have no way of knowing, but I'm curious if that's what was happening. One of my favorite quotes is, uh, "The guy needed needed fifty bucks that day." <laughs> <laughs> so time to grab this car. <laughs> yeah, trying to do this thing. So after we get to after we do that, uh, Sam shows up at the school paper. There is an angry line of girls at the front desk looking for Duffy. Yeah, yeah. And one the, of the, name, one, the name of the Duffy's paper, one of the reporters, yeah. The name of the paper is the Independent Voice. It's actually not named in this segment, but it's named later. Right. Which is strange, but you know. What do you gotta do? Girls, uh they they uh They're angry at Duffy for something he said in his most recent think, column. And they think Sam is Duffy. And they, uh, and when they realize it's not, they're like, "We want to rip his balls off if they can find them." I do love the fact that that Sam like actually pulls out his ID to make sure he can prove that he is not <laughs> Duffy. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. See here, I am this person. This is me, not Duffy. I'm a smiling, nice white guy over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm the smiley guy. Yeah, Duffy yeah. is the unshaven asshole that you want to kill. So yes, hiding under his desk, probably smelling. Yes, pro- yeah. He, d- if there was ever a character in this movie. Who clearly seemed to be someone you could smell a you know a full twenty feet away? It was definitely the quote unquote Gonzo journalist Duffy. Yes, Duffy looks like he smells like pee. <laughs> yes, it looks like he sleeps in his clothing for a week at a stretch. Yeah, and, and, and he doesn't do that because he doesn't have more clothing. He does it because he thinks that's what he's supposed to do because he's quote unquote a Gonzo journalist. Oh God, one of those guys. So we finally meet Duffy, who's hiding under the desk. Yes. And as we've already as said, much, as much shit as I want to give the the, the 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 whole movie for the way this character looks, it's like I understand. I get I get the idea. This is a guy who's of college age, who's affecting. He's trying. He's trying to be the Gonzo journalist. He's trying to be Hunter S. Thompson. He's 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 too young to know that you don't try to be that. You, the, the, you don't you don't affect that from the outside. It has to come from within, and so he's affecting it from the outside. He's he's trying to be this guy from the outside and look like the Gonzo journalist. No, just be the Gonzo journalist, dude. You can wear a suit and tie and be a Gonzo journalist if you just fucking do it right. So, have you ever noticed what his uh, dangly earring was? Was it? Am I wrong? Is it a peace sign? It is a peace sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also another. Lame. That would be another. It's another cliche. Yeah. Another cliche. So he only has one earring. Or actually, has two earrings in the left ear. He has a dangly one, which is a peace sign. He has one right above it, which to me looks like a mole. And I keep looking at it, going, "Is that a mole?" <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't it's, really not, know. it's not a mole. It's just another piercing. But it just looks dumb. But he's it exactly does. what you expect. He would. He's exactly the cliche kind of guy that you expect. He smokes. He's unshaven. Scraggly hair. Dresses like a slob. Yeah. You know the one earring. His hands were dirty. His fingernails, were, his fingernails were dirty, which is something yes. they, they made sure we saw. And it's yeah. just like, that doesn't make, that just means he's unclean, friends. That just means he needs a bath. Okay? He, his, his, he was raised poorly. He doesn't understand how he needs to clean his fingers. So this is uh, where we finally get into the discussion about the monkey abuse from <laughs> yes. a certain scientist, which we know later will be Dr. Etheridge. And it's Sam who's been trying to get an interview with Etheridge for some time and has never been able to get one from him because he's curious because there are all these rumors about the experimentation that's going on in his lab. And Duffy mocks Ash because of Nash, excuse me, I wrote it wrong. Because well, the character's name is Sam Ash, right? Sam Nash. It sounds like Ash, but it's actually Nash. It's so fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Ash is actually a music store. 
<laughs> so uh, we cut to the scientist's office. He's strapping in the fake rubber monkey. Well, yeah, okay. So let's be clear, people. There is a real baboon in this movie. But not here. But not in this scene where they've got him strapped to a to a chair and are doing experiments on him. Yeah. You know, it, it to me it seems very obvious that uh, it's it's a rubber monkey and that I think it might actually be larger than the one they actually use. It I don't know. Seems seems like it to me. I could be totally wrong. I don't know. Uh, so here we well, cut. Well, to, well, hold on a minute. Oops, Let's make, let, I want to make sure. Uh, I want to make sure we we're clear with people that this is not a movie that you need to worry about there being any like animal cruelty in it. There really isn't. No, there isn't. No, there really yeah. isn't any animal cruelty. There is no. Uh, there is an animal death. But it's a you know it's one of those very easily faked animal deaths. Who we'll talk about it here in a few minutes. So if you're worried about this movie because it involves this kind of plotline involving that, no, it does not. And believe me, I understand. As someone who just recently finally saw the uncut version of Tintorera, believe me, I understand just not wanting to see certain kinds of animal deaths on screen that are just pointless. <laughs> So you don't have to worry about that with this movie, thank goodness. So. And, and, and we know Italian people have a tendency to do that, but not yeah. in this movie. Antonio Margheriti killed more than his share of snakes on screen. So yeah. And then there's Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay killed a lot of animals on screen. Antonio Martino killed at least one monkey on screen that we can point directly to, which would be in Slave of the Cannibal God. I mean, Sergio. Yeah. 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 I thought I said Martino. You said Antonio Martino. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Antonio Margarita killed a bunch of snakes. Yeah. Sergio Martino definitely killed at least one monkey. <laughs> Which, uh, if you've ever seen this wonderful documentary where he's claiming that they did not, and then they show the footage while he's talking. <laughs> he's like, no, no, no you, you fucking killed a monkey, all right? You really did. Just just admit it and move on with your life. There ain't yeah, yeah, yeah. We all, we all make mistakes in times when things are not considered bad. Hey, just be honest when other Germans like it. <laughs> along with <laughs> along along with scat porn, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so we finally uh, get our introduction to uh, Doctor Etheridge, who has the worst mullet ponytail I've ever seen in my life. Okay, this is Bo Svensson, and I when we when we I think if I'm not mistaken here, the first time we see that bizarre little short ponytail he's wearing his hair in, mm-hmm. I, I thought to myself. That is, without a doubt, the lamest attempt to be the cool professor I've ever seen. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing this little bit of hair that you have in a ponytail? There's not enough to really be on your neck. I mean, you'd have to have like one of those Australian mullets to, you know, <laughs> I mean, like one of those Australian seventies mullets, like yeah, like if you were in a, a colored balls or something. Like that's the kind of hair you would have to have to have this kind of. It's bizarre. Yeah, it it's it, it, it really looks like it just has a clip on ponytail. Yeah, yeah. But it, it apparently I mean we see enough of it to know that that's really not what it is. I don't understand. The the first time I saw the movie, I was actually trying to figure out what the fuck was on his head and then I realized it was a ponytail. I'm I'm dead serious. I thought he had some wow. kind of like equipment or some kind of weird glasses thing on his head. No, it's a ponytail. <sighs> Pointless, nevertheless. And so uh, the next thing I put is no idea what's happening, rubber monkey freak out. Yeah, yeah. So he's running some kind of experiment on this baboon, and it does not go well. And uh, he's he's doing this because uh, this this is when he's trying to. This is a demonstration for the for the guy who's come from the uh, people who've been funding his research. Am I wrong? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So this is this does not go well, 
And he knows it doesn't go well. And as the money man is leaving, he Vincent chases him out the door. The Dr. Estridge chases him out the door because his, his desire is to convince this guy to keep funding his research. Yeah. But this this guy at first seems pretty adamant that this is it. This is the end of the road. We've spent enough money on this and you're not seeing any any real advancements. Time to time to call a halt to this. He talks him into it. He talks him into actually continuing to fund him for what was it a couple months? Yeah. I think like, like two that. more months. So we see that well, what the film is establishing here is we've got this guy who's knows he's on a timeline. He knows he's got to make he's he's got to produce results. But here's the weird thing, and I don't know why you think about this, but I'm I would think that that's the kind of thing that in a better written script, and I'm sorry, movie, but in a better written script, sorry, Lindsay, <laughs> that this is the kind of thing that would light a fire under this guy's ass and make him start immediately, not way later in the movie, the way we see it immediately start doing things like cutting corners in a way that put people in danger or doing things that are obviously ethically off the table. But that's not what we get. There's way too much space in the movie between him being given this two-month deadline and him saying the the very first thing, which is like fully 40 minutes later, of... Question, saying something questionable, I would say. Saying something where you're just like, oh, I don't know. I think maybe you're trying to be a mad scientist here, and I think that's a bad idea. But Yeah, you don't really get the, the notion from him that there's any kind of sense of urgency. Hmm. Right. Not like there should be. And the thing is, the whole idea for putting a two-month deadline on this guy is to, in terms of a film, to start a clock. In other words, to put pressure on a character to make them do things that advance the plot. And that's sorely missing from this. Because this movie does a lot of... I won't call it meandering. But we spend a lot of time with different characters. And so if the Bose Vincent Mad Doctor character was the central character of the film, or even a character we spent a lot more time with, then you'd start to feel that that pressure, you know? But that's not but what the film, the, yeah. film, the film doesn't manage that. It's really strange. They really should have, in a, in a Rod Barnett rewrite of this script, <laughs> there would have been a refocus on trying to give us more, give us more uh, of an impression of uh, this, this mad doctor feeling under pressure and feeling the need to produce results in a way that makes him start doing things that cause people to get hurt, essentially. But he essentially does nothing. Right, right, right. He is. This is the least. This is the least effective mad scientist of the 1980s, as far as I. I, I could be wrong, but just for right now, I'm going to say that he does not do nearly enough to be the, the the good bad good bad mad scientist that I'm hoping for in a yeah. film like this. So. Uh, I just want to note that uh, as we go cut to the next scene, he's also got a convertible. Uh, Lauren earlier has the LeBaron, which I'm pretty sure is the same LeBaron from Nightmare Beach. He yeah, also has yeah. a convertible. Uh, there will be another set of people that also has a convertible in this fucking movie. Everybody drives goddamn convertibles well, in this it's movie. It's Florida. And it, they act as if it never rains in Florida. It's like, I got news for you. It does. Every vacation I've ever taken in Florida, it is fucking rain. I'll tell you this much right now. Uh, if it was me and I was going to Florida, I would not be driving a convertible because Florida stinks. So, <laughs> I live in South Georgia. I know this for a fact. Well, here's the here's the thing. So you have uh, 
we, we've established most of our characters at this yeah. point, but now we get introduced. I, th I think that's where we're going next. Is now we get introduced to the last of the main characters of this film. Uh, not yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is actually where uh, Sam Nash confronts Doctor Etheridge for an interview, and he gets mm. the cold shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of a that's a bit of a clumsy scene, but. In this movie where you're trying to accomplish as many things as this thing's trying to accomplish in a shorter period of time. I get it. But, yeah. And then we cut to a jogger bolting out of a door and knocks all of Lauren's books out of her hand. And she has a giant stack of books. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Now, remember, Lauren is the is the uh, the character played by uh, Cheryl Aurit. Yes. Who's the lady who went on to become a clinical psychologist. And uh, I gotta say... I can see why she works steadily throughout the 90s. Because yeah. she's actually pretty freaking good in this movie. She's not... I mean, don't get me wrong. She's not like Oscar caliber. But this woman, but even by this point in time, knows how to hit her mark. Knows how to say her lines effectively. She's, she's, she's solid in this movie. So this is not one of those movies where you look at it and you go, it's not good because the actors don't know what they're doing. This movie has other problems. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Lauren goes back to her uh, dorm. I'm assuming it's a dorm room. It, it yes, appears to be a dorm room, room. Yeah. and she meets her new uh, her new roommate, who uh, is played by Sarah Buxton. Yes, and it is very weird because she walks in and Sarah or Debbie, Debbie is, the character, yeah, yeah, is going through her clothes, which she, is a truly awkward way to begin a relationship. Yes, yes, but the good news is. That uh, they they uh, get to know each other really quickly because Debbie just drops right into her lap because the que the the question that the roommate has that that Lauren has is oh well you're showing up a little late into the uh, into the semester and uh, Debbie explains that the reason she's there is she just had an abortion and she says it incredibly dry. She says it as if she just picked up a milkshake. It's very strange. Yes, says, I got a chocolate milkshake. And then, you know, at least she does acknowledge that this is, you know, this is probably something that she knew was going to be a harsh a harsh bit of information. And so she tried to drop it as quickly as possible, which doesn't make that drop of information any less difficult for the for the new roommate. But everybody seems cool. Everybody seems to be able to to accept that these things happen in life. And so the two of them start to try to get to know each other. That's yeah. good. I'm, I'm just going to say the acting in this scene just seems very odd here's what i kept thinking as i looked at this scene a second time this felt like the actors the two the two i should say the two actresses were doing a dry run or a read through to got to, to kind of get an idea of how they were going to play this before the cameras were rolling that's a good point that's what it felt like and it felt like that that that's just what got used yeah and uh we, which is a shame because i think both actors we see in other areas of the movie definitely have they're a better... Bad. Yeah, they're not mm -hmm. bad. And I think that this scene does them a, dis, a disservice the way it's shot. Yeah, so it's very... Perfunctory. Wood, it's just... Wooden. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's as if, well, look, this is where I'll stand. This is where this is how we'll, we'll position ourselves. This is how I'll present the information so that you can react to it. And instead of, you know, getting that, that kind of an actor's run-through and then, then getting to film it, what you have is them getting themselves prepped to shoot the scene, and then that's just all. That's what ends up in the movie. At least, that's what it feels like. Yeah. So as we cut to the next scene, I had uh, one interesting remark. Damn, check out this guy's perm mullet in the foreground. 
what the hell? <laughs> I have to admit, in a movie packed with so many goddamn images that are going to burn their way through my nightmares forever, <laughs> this particular mullet escapes me, but I have no doubt it's there. So. It's something that was very common in the late 80s, and it, I had totally forgotten about that style of mullet until like the camera, boom. Oh, the poofy mullet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like a perm oh, mullet. Yeah. Now, oh, God damn you for making me remember that image. Okay, yes. Yes, I know what you're talking about now. So uh, uh, we're at a, a unnamed bar. Yes, yes. I was going to say, what was, it, what was the name of the bar in, a, in a Nightmare Beach? We could just call it that. <laughs> yeah, might, might as well. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Sam and Duffer are having beers, discuss ideals. Drunk guy comes over and bugs them. He constantly repeats what everybody's saying. <laughs> yeah, he's just that irritating half-drunk guy who's trying to trying to horn in on the conversation. And uh, Duffy puts Visine in his beer. <laughs> Which effectively gets rid of him, of course, in a yes. semi-comedic way. <clears throat> so uh, one of my first uh, favorite uh, lines from the movie is a <laughs> conversation between Nash and Duffy. You only see one color, shit brown. Oh, well, a turd is a turd is a turd, right? <laughs> Which... Which is, I'm sure it was better in the original Italian. I don't know. But it's still kind of bizarre, no matter how you slice it. And the bartender has a crazy spiked mullet and a hideous Hawaiian shirt. I, I don't, I, we're going to move on past that because I don't want to have an image of that in my head either. So yes, And uh, Duffy keeps calling him Don Ho, by the way. <laughs> oh, God, now I have it. You son of a bitch. Oh, that's true. You're welcome. Oh, God, I hate you. Anyway. So, Duffy once again proposes breaking into Etheridge's office. That's yep. illegal, says picking your nose in public. I know, I know. So's picking your nose in public. Really? That's your that's your <laughs> reference point for breaking and entering? And this is about the time the uh, the drunk guy runs to, to the bathroom. So supposedly putting Visine in your drink is supposed to make you shit. It's supposed to upset your stomach something fierce, yes. 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 There's some there's so. some ingredient in Visine or eye drops of a certain type that, yeah. that will make you sick, yes. Yeah. Uh, so since so Sam won't break into Etheridge's office, Duffy will. Lend me the camera. Yeah, so uh, uh, our our main protagonist is not willing to uh, to break and enter, but he is willing to loan his camera to the guy who will break and enter. So. He, he won't break his moral code. Exactly, but he'll allow his buddy to do it and then take the photos from this from this particular breaking and entering situation. So. Typical white guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to risk my ass, but if you're going to risk your ass, I'll be more than glad to make money off of it. <laughs> oh my God, you're so right, man. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It's the fucking truth. It's the fucking truth. Ah. All right, so... So Duffy borrows the, ca- the the camera and breaks into the lab that night. <laughs> oh God! And and then and he he sees the the one the freaking one animal, which is the baboon. We 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 see the real baboon this time. Yeah yeah, yeah real baboons in a cage, and uh, baboon's not happy to see him. He does the uh, I don't know the the animal rights activist thing, which is he kind of. And they've mentioned this idea before, and uh, in the dialogue where the whole the whole idea of you know letting the poor tortured animals loose, and then you do, and so he does. He lets the he lets the uh, the baboon loose, um, which is not good for him, and it's also not good for some poor guy's paint job on his car in a few minutes. Yeah, but this is the point at which he he, he does snap a few photographs. Yes, uh, but. Um, 
we're not we're not privy to exactly what that what how that's going to matter until later on. And then uh, he gets uh, bitten by the, uh, the the baboon as it escapes from its cage and then blasts through a window and out the building. Trips the alarm. Yep. And here's where it gets a little confusing because they definitely did not abuse any animals in this movie. No. He runs into the street the with ba- enough the, time. The, ba- the, baboon, the baboon. The baboon. He runs into the street. Police car is speeding towards him. He waves his arms at, at them. Which is which is an odd thing. It seems like they, they seem to have like train this baboon to do this, maybe? I don't yeah. But let's be honest. With the way they cut the movie, they had enough time to stop. Oh, plenty. Yes, yes. This, this is one of those one of those awkward moments in the film where you're just like, oh, they didn't shoot this well enough to edit this the way they wanted it to be. So, so we, see, what, the, what we, we see the baboon waving his arms slowly, screaming. <laughs> And then we see the rubber baboon smashing into the windshield. Yes. Now, understand that we're saying rubber baboon, but it's actually a pretty decent fake baboon. Okay, that one looks really good compared it looks to good. what they had earlier. Yes, yes I agree with that. Yeah, it, it. if you're not really paying attention, you'd be convinced that that happened. So, so I'll give them that. So Splat goes the ape yes. onto, the, onto the windshield of this car. And uh, we have, you know, Dead critter, but bitten gonzo journalist. Yes. Now, a bitten gonzo journalist is always a bad thing, especially when they don't bathe. <laughs> so we know we're in trouble now, and we can kind of sense the outline of how this is going to go. So we cut to the next scene where Etheridge returns. He's talking to cops, and they're like, what the hell was that thing? It attacked our car like a mad dog. <laughs> yeah. What? That, that was not no, anything like a mad dog. <laughs> First of all, no, it didn't attack you. It was, it, it's obvious with, to anybody with eyes what this is. is a fucking baboon. It's obvious that you hit the fucking baboon. It's, it's, I mean, at the worst, you were going to go, was that a monkey? I mean, that's, that's as far as I'm willing to let you go as a human being in the 20th century is trying to figure out what exactly it was. That's as far as I'm willing to let you I mean, go. He was even waving his arms going, hey, guys, I'm here. It's like, Clear. What's happening here? So, yeah, you're right. right. So, we cut to another scene. Our uh, creepy hotel clerk from the last movie is now a creepy (laughs) geometry teacher. Yes, yes, indeed. This is true. From From Nightmare Beach to this film, we have another character. Well, or at least another actor playing a different character. Oh, my God. This, This teacher who's... Clearly not above sleeping with the occasional poor student to get their grades up. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, he's grilling the class on some kind of question that even I couldn't answer because I always sucked in algebra, geometry, and I never made it to trigonometry. Yeah, so. well, I have to say, this was actually a, a, an interesting geometry question, and having Sarah Buxton's character, Debbie, be the one who comes <laughs> in late and still be able to, like, slap that question down and answer it properly is, in a better script... This would be the kind of thing that establishes this woman as a very smart, very intel, you know, as a, as an intelligent, worldly woman who's able to do whatever she sets her mind to. Unfortunately, this movie short circuits it by by getting her infected pretty soon. But yeah, yeah exactly. It just all seems kind of pointless to 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 do that. But uh, in the next scene, she says that her uh, IQ is one eighty four. Right, and so it's it's a question of well, okay, so this this woman's really smart. And she seems to have made one mistake in her life, and that was to get pregnant by someone that she didn't want to be pregnant by. Okay, cool, cool. Nothing wrong with that. So this is the point where we uh, get introduced to um, 
who I'm going to lovingly refer to as the Rape Squad. Yeah. The introduction of these... Wow. Okay. <laughs> so like, these, can, three, can, these three assholes. Yeah, these three, these three fucking numbskulls. So in the very first scene, this is the exact lines that are said to each other. Hey, bud, what's shaking? A new crop of prime freshman titties. <laughs> yes, we need some fresh party meat. I know, I know. It's, I, I, I it, don't get me wrong. This is perfect cinematic shorthand for assholes with their with with hard hard pricks. That's that's all these guys are. So uh, we're introduced to Lovejoy, the <laughs> only guy that we actually know whose whose name uh, uh, the only guy whose name we know on the rape squad. Because yeah. the other two guys are just nameless thugs. Yeah, they, yeah nameless thugs are nameless, you know, brain dead, you know, pricks. Jocks. Yeah, jocks, pricks. There you go. Yeah, that's the, yeah. and that and jocks would probably be the correct term to use considering this film was made in the eighties. So you're right. Yeah, he's 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 pretending that he's trying to take a poll and get uh, Debbie and Lauren's number. Right. And Nashra's interference and calls him out. Effectively. To, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, telling them what a pervy is, although he comes off as a fucking cheese dick to begin with. Yeah, I think both of these ladies were pretty pretty quick to t- to know that this guy was not someone they wanted to deal with well. So, yeah. So, uh, let's see. Uh, we go to Sam visiting Duffy at his shithole house, which is pretty obviously a shithole from the outside. True. And uh, Sam is sniffing around saying it stinks. <laughs> Duffy tells the monkey story, but says he wasn't there. Uh, which, which, yeah, which immediately does not work for anybody involved. Yeah. Well, the first thing Sam uh, says is, "You bullshit so much, your teeth are brown." <laughs> uh, Sam tells Duffy to clean himself up and brush his teeth. They're going on a double date tonight. I, and this, I think, is hilarious because you know Sam has got a real shot with Lauren. This seems to be something that's you know pretty straightforward, no big deal, college romance. Oh, yeah, yeah they're going out on a yeah. date. How this suddenly became a double date, I don't understand. Because it's the girl thing. It's like, well, you know, my my roommate mate needs a date too. You got to figure that shit out pretty quickly. And it's like the only person you can think of is the unwashed god. You know, Fake Gonzo journalist asshole who just you know did the illegal thing that's gonna get, that's gonna actually. Uh, but hey, they're best buds, you know. Opposites attract. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So we get we get we, we get the date sequence here in the bar, same bar by the way. Oh well, uh, before that, uh, Duffy actually examines his bite in a bathroom mirror. Oh yeah, the, the, and it's does it is this the scene where it pulses a little bit? Uh, no, it pulses it later on. Yeah, it pulses later but on. In his, uh, in his, um, behind his mirror in his medicine cabinet, he finds he finds an open can of Milwaukee's best and dumps it on the wound and screams. <laughs> well, that would be true whether he had a wound on his arm or not. <laughs> what are you doing? Why? That's, that's not used. That's not internal or external use. Get rid of that shit. Liquor, liquor is what you're supposed to use. <laughs> Not beer. I'm sorry, but the the yeast involved in the beer is probably not helping you at all. <laughs> oh God! So now we're uh, Etheridge on the phone. Oh yeah, so we have the doc. Yeah, we have the mad doctor on the phone. It'll take two weeks to have another monkey ready. <laughs> he's 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 already had the 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 funeral for the for the splatted monkey. <laughs> yeah, he's already <laughs> cried his eyes out over every other orangutan. Poor monkey. 
his assistant brings in a surveillance camera tape. They see Duffy. Etheridge calls the campus police. Uh, which is exactly what he should do, of course. And now we're at the bar where the Mondo Bafo song is playing. Oh, God, save us all. I want to be a Marine. That's, that's... It's the second most annoying song in the movie. I was going to say, it's a, it's a sharp contrast to the, the earlier shitty song. But then again, it's just like, actually, no, it's just like the second shittiest song in the movie. <laughs> it's That's all it really is. And people, there is an actual music video for this song. Oh, my God. I will I will post a link, and you are a fool if you click on it. So there. And I'm trying to talk Rod into playing this song at the end of the podcast, too. <sighs> You'll know if he wins this argument by the time you get to the end of the show, folks. It's... It's something else. It is something else. And the thing that it is, is wrong. <laughs> As you were saying. There is a reason it was their uh, only, well, really only single. Because it really only did two versions of the same damn song. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, come on, man. When you've got a hit, when you've got an obvious winner, you just plow that fucker into the ground, right? <laughs> uh Sam is white guy dancing with Lauren, but then again, there's a lot of people white white guy dancing. There's right a lot now. of white guy dancing, especially in the latter part of this film. This oh yeah, it's geez. it's 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 pretty bad. But a, thankfully, a, a, also known as arrhythmic jerking, it's just all yeah. it really is. Thankfully, Debbie and uh, Duffy are not. They're sitting in a booth talking, and uh, uh, Duffy is a uh, semi-shaved and looks semi-clean with his um, weird. I wouldn't even call it Paisley Underground button-up shirt, whatever the hell he's wearing. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he actually looks he actually looks like he made an effort to be presentable. It's kind of a shock. Now, I'm just going to say, uh, I, I actually think this, in the, in the movie, this is the best that Buxton looks. She looks in, incredible here. Yeah, yeah, me. and this is actually a good scene between her and yes. the actor playing Duffy. They do a good job in this scene. Because, oh, very much. Very because much. it actually does come off, and it kind of had to to make this believable. It actually comes off like two people who are getting to know each other and actually enjoying getting to know each other. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because uh, the scenes with them, which is there's only two of them, you actually feel like the young people getting to know each other vibe. Yeah. Exactly, exactly what you're just saying. Like you, you feel that awkwardness, but you know, you're curious about this other person, but you don't know them. You know, it feels it, it feels it, it works and it, it feels positive. It feels as if these are two people who are getting to know each other and kind of enjoying themselves. So speaking of that, I, I got a, another quote from the movie that I actually quite <laughs> enjoy. Uh, okay. Gaza journalism is kind of like eating a lot without a colon. Meaning what? You never know how it's going to come out. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming that was on the printed page. I hope they didn't make that up. That's all I can say. <laughs> Uh, the boys go to the bathroom. Yep. Lovejoy wants revenge, and uh, apparently he's so mad about revenge he's uh, walking away from the lady that he's uh, trying to pick up. I know. I mean, these rape these rape squad boys seem seem kind of seem kind of weird in that they can't seem to focus for very long on a particular target. Uh, but when they do finally get a target within their sights and have have that person, it's it gets it gets ugly fast. So. And uh, there's more white people dancing. Yes, or a rhythmic jerking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lovejoy hassles the girls. Yep. Uh, the boys return. Duffy twists Lovejoy's arm. You can hear bones cracking, and all the rapey dudes beat a hasty retreat, but threaten future revenge. 
Well, I have to say that I don't know if Duffy, before the animal bite, would have been quite so uh, aggressive in defending Debbie. But uh, he's very effective in this scene because he's exactly the right amount of aggressive to get this rapey son of a bitch to go the fuck away. Yeah. And, of course, it makes a good impression on his date. Of course, as well it should. I mean, this is, I mean, he did exactly the right thing and he handled it very well. So uh, Sam shows Lauren his room. Uh, where's your roommate? Uh, apparently his roommate is a gambler and is never there. <laughs> I know. And we, we do get that scene near the end of the movie where the gambler let's, let's does just that. randomly show. Yeah, Let's yeah. save that because it, it, it just seems like a, a, a joke if you're not paying attention that you, you don't get it because it, it's very jarring when it happens. <laughs> I know. Uh, Debbie and Duffy hang out by pool. Start to make mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, the, this is where they start to make out by the pool. And there's another uh, another good quote from Duffy. I've been burned. I've been burning effigy more times than a football coach. <laughs> Which anybody in Florida would know would understand that that means a lot. Yeah, so, that's a, it's a strong reference. So as they're making out, uh, he just randomly bites her, kills the mood for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she, you know, it's played off as if you know he got a lot of hand, and it's kind of a hickey situation. But it does seem to be as if he were. Losing control in a weird way. Yeah, he's also talking around that point in time about feeling ill as well. So yeah, you can see yeah. that something is, is going on. But uh, it doesn't kill the mood for very long because she smiles and they start making out again. She's like, oh, well, fuck it, whatever. Well, you know, hey, you know. This guy just drew blood, but it's fine. <laughs> he just drew blood, but he seems like a nice guy. Let's see how this goes. That's strike one, buddy. Let's not make a strike two. <laughs> exactly. Got to be careful from there on. Strike three, I guess I'm walking home. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> so uh, the next scene is Duffy is in the emergency room, and he starts flipping the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, He's, he clearly is well aware that he needs some kind of doctor's attention, but he doesn't make it past the waiting room as he's trying to patiently tr- patiently wait for his turn in line, and it just doesn't go well. So he steals a baseball bat from a guy that's obviously a baseball player. He is dressed up like a baseball player, has a damn mustache and everything. This guy screams. Wait a minute. Has a mustache and everything? Are you yeah. telling me that to be a baseball player you must have a mustache? Is this some rule I was unaware of? He looks like an old timey like baseball player to me. I don't know. I, mean, I don't pay that much attention to baseball. I, I do I mean, all I, baseball players have mustaches? I don't know. I don't watch it. You know, I'm not sure about the mustache rule. I'll check on it. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, they did everything they could to make this guy, obviously, a fucking baseball player. So yes. There we go. Yes, they did. So he steals his baseball bat, which why he has a motherfucking baseball bat in a in, motherfucking emergency room. I know. Why is he sitting there? With, you leave that in the car. You leave that in the car. So he hits the male nurse with it. There's a doctor with a giant syringe trying to poke him in the neck. Okay, okay this to me, and this is going to sound strange considering where this film goes. This is one of the strangest moments in the movie for me. It is. Because very instantaneously, there is a male nurse with a syringe of some liquid ready to inject. I mean, we're talking like super quick. We're talking within seconds. seconds. Ready to inject Duffy, who is going batshit crazy with a ball bat. What? Do you just keep... Is there like... Do you, do you have like a bandolero of syringes filled with, with some serum to knock a motherfucker out? What... No, 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 no. I'm sorry. 
That's not how this works. Uh, Duffy throws a cherry, knocks over a bookcase for dramatic effect, flees. Something, and uh, later on, uh, I guess he falls down on the ground. Something explodes near his left eye, and he passes out in the woods. I'm not really clear as to what the fuck is exploding, but it's by his left eye. <laughs> I don't know what know the hell's going on. I, I, but the fact that he passes out is the only piece of information that I was happy we were getting with this scene because it was odd. Yeah, it. it uh, I just don't understand what happens because it doesn't really seem to happen to anybody else. No. At least not on screen. Well, and, and yeah, and it's like, at this point, he's our only frame of reference for somebody infected with whatever this is, right? Yeah. So what we're looking at is setting us up for whatever people are going to be doing later in the movie as they get infected. Yeah. And keep in mind, people uh, that haven't watched this movie, we still don't really know what the fuck this is. Here's a spoiler alert. We never fucking know. <laughs> so now we're uh, with Sam at a press conference about the Halloween ball. The general nude behavior that shapes our university. <laughs> the lewd, I know, the general lewd behavior. No, nude behavior. Oh, nude? Nude behavior is what lewd. he says. I said lewd. Oh, my God. I, I got nude. It could be lewd, but I got nude. Regardless, either one is clearly an adult no-no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sam gets a tip and runs to the ER to find out more about Duffy. He sees Etheridge and gets the cold shoulder again. Well, the mad doctor is not going to come clean about what the hell's going on with his mad scientist shit, so... Uh, the rape squad plays racquetball. Lovejoy claims he will have revenge. And so does Lita, apparently. Lita's cool. Uh, back at the dorm, Debbie feels ill, looks kind of shitty. <laughs> Lauren asks about the cut on her neck. Gives her a blanket. You'll get over it. <laughs> You'll get over it. Of course you will. Sam stops by Duffy's place. Okay, okay, now. Yeah, yeah, So we get the... Ne- this is our next visit to Sam... To, I'm sorry, to Duffy's apartment. And yeah. uh, he is very sick. He is not doing well. Yeah. Oh, he's not there. Wait, okay. I thought this was... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, no, I'm, no, a no, scene, no. I'm a scene ahead of ourselves. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, when Sam stops by Duffy's place, we get the random jump scare with a dog we have not seen before. Yeah, which seems like just a cheap nothing. What what is that there for? It wasn't even effective. Yeah, I don't understand. Uh, we we get one more of that later in the film. Uh, then we show Duffy running around screaming. The street uproots a street sign. It's swinging it around. Oh yeah, that okay okay that's okay. So this is our demonstration that Duffy has like a little bit more strength than you would expect. Yeah, yeah. Back at Duffy's place, Sam finds his camera. Yeah, and this is when he takes his camera back, and we then we later on get to see some of the photographs. Uh, the police hear Duffy wigging out, and Duffy bashes one cop's head against the wall by his jaw. The second cop discovers the body. That's right, Lita. Uh, <laughs> if a cat didn't invade a podcast, would we know it was a podcast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam develops the film, sees the picture of the monkey, realizes Duffy's full of shit. Uh, walks out. Someone in office sends him to the murder. Debbie looks worse. Yeah, now this is when we see that Debbie has definitely been infected by Duffy and is starting to exhibit some of the same symptoms that Duffy did earlier. Yeah. Uh, back to Sam. He sees Etheridge at the crime scene, shows him the monkey pick. We need to talk. Another fucking convertible. <laughs> Okay, so whose convertible was this? Or are you just spotting random convertibles yeah, in the background? This one might be a Ford. This is the Rape Squad. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot the Rape Squad has their own. Uh, their so own we, have, we have three convertibles. We have the LeBaron that Lauren drives. We have um, the, the car that Etheridge drives, which seems like an older car. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't make out what it is. I'm actually terrible with cars. Uh, I know this one is some kind of white Ford convertible. That's all I can tell you. Okay. They kidnap a very ill Debbie, try to pour beer in her mouth. She spits it out on one dude's face. <laughs> yes. And I wouldn't blame her because Budweiser sucks. Okay, you're just you're just you're zipping right past the the whole kidnapping Debbie portion of this. This is where we move from. This is the whole thing. The scene. Right well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. Is 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 let's stop right there. Remember point that the point of this movie is uh, is not rape squad. It's not. Yeah. That's not what this is called. Yeah. This is not called. Three asshole rapists or yeah. trio of lunatic rape fiends. This is a movie about people being infected by a, uh, a mad scientist baboon. Yeah. It's called Primal Rage. And what we have here is an entire section of the goon squad kidnapping a woman with an attempt to rape her. Now, I love the fact that it doesn't go well for them. But at the yeah. same time, it is really... Here's my question. I'm fully aware that Date rape is something that happens far more yeah. frequently than it than it all needs to happen. It, yeah. it's, it, it doesn't need to happen at all, but the fact is that college is ground zero for this kind of shit. Oh, absolutely. So I understand the rape accusations and the rape, the, the rape problem that exists in culture because of the way men are and the yes. way we kind of indoctrinate them into doing certain yes. things, into acting in certain ways. But... Three guys kidnapping a chick is three guys kidnapping a chick. Yeah. In other words, step one is already fucking illegal. What in the hell makes these assholes who are not infected, by the way, these are just the way these guys are. They, how does How is this a good idea? It's like these are your criminal scumbags who need to be vanquished in hideous, violent ways. And luckily this movie does give us that. You know, they actually need to be... Um serviced by the uh, other rape squad from the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. They, their lesson. They, they need to be they need to be taught a lesson very harshly. They need to wake up in a a, a, a bowling alley uh, bathroom screaming, Where's my balls? <laughs> but now, it's just this is so weird because I can't imagine that this movie really needed a rape squad sequence. But here it is. Here it is. And, and here's here's I wasn't trying to gloss over this. Oh, no, I was no, just no. trying you're, to get through this part. You're definitely, you're definitely but not, but not. This is actually a question I was going to ask, because they see Debbie, who even from far away looks kind of terrible at this point. She's not looking well, yeah. And they look at each other, and one guy goes, she'll do. <laughs> what, so what? my yeah. question is, and not trying to make light of any of these actions, because it is stuff like this is always serious and not cool, but, I mean, do these guys pick up random hobos on the street, too? Because, I mean... <laughs> This girl obviously yes. looks terrible. I yeah. would not want to lay a hand on her. I would probably take her to the hospital yeah, myself. Yeah, this would be a woman that I would pick up to take to an emergency room yeah. because she needs care. It's clear. But are they that stupid that they're like, eh, eh, whatever? <laughs> what the hell? We'll pick this woman up and take her back to a secluded place yeah. to rape her. Yes. Yeah. But uh, the moral of the story is Budweiser still sucks. Oh, the moral of the story is that Budweiser... See, here's the thing. If these guys are drunk on Budweiser, that would explain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Budweiser, we, the drink of, of asshole rape squads. Yeah. So we go back to Sam, who confronts Etheridge about what happened to Duffy. Synthetic protein, blah, blah, blah. They need to find Duffy before the police do. 
I do like it that at least the script gives us the synthetic protein thing to kind of hang our hat on for what he was experimenting with, attempting to, you know, to reactivate dead brain cells or to recreate new brain cells or whatever it is attempting to do. Because at least then we have something to hang the whole process on. But, but we still have no idea what's going on. No, and we don't really need one, to be honest. What we need is, you know, crazy people infected with a tra- strange disease d- disease attacking other people. And then and there, right. there you go. You got a heart movie. So Rape Squad carries Debbie up to the apartment. We have uh, Steel Grave blaring, I'm assuming. Lovejoy calls first. Uh, they argue oh, I, oh, I, know, oh, I know. They argue about who's going to rape her first. As if... And then and then they argue and decide to turn her into a porcupine. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, it's like it's like oh, you thought it was bad. Now it's worse. One dude puts pantyhose on his head and a flake a fake black pinky nail. Please, please, anybody who's ever seen this movie, explain both of these both of these actions to me if you can. Um. All I know is if you're putting a pantyhose on your head, you're trying to hide your identity, but it's already too late. Because this woman clearly saw you when you grabbed her off the street. And the pinky nail, I can only guess cocaine, but what would that have to do with anything? Uh, I'm, I'm totally confused. We got. I, I don't know. Do we see any drug use in this movie? No. Yeah, okay. We got strobe lights. Uh, another guy puts on a catcher's mask and says, play ball. I know, because clearly at this point, the director has just told the actors, hey, do something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Debbie kicks the shit out of two guys and claws Lovejoy's love chest. She uh, bites pantyhose guy's legs and Lovejoy's wrist and runs. Apparently, she bites the third guy, too, but we don't really see that on camera. Uh, now we cut to the creepy geometry teacher and student. Uh, they're coming back from a date and notice Debbie running away... As they're not, as he's trying to drive her back to her sorority. Uh, just a note: it's not a convertible. Um, <laughs> well, well, they had to change it up occasionally. Yeah, I mean, they can't all be convertibles. I mean, uh, the teacher. Uh, I'll put this in finger quotes. Accidentally misses <laughs> Debbie's, uh, not Debbie's, uh, the the student sorority, and drives out to woods to fuck so she can get a C. <laughs> Instead of the F that she so obviously deserves. Uh, I hear a bunch of noises. I think somebody hits the car at this point. Uh, yep. He comes out with the flashlight. I'm warning you, I know Kung Fu. Okay, now that, honestly, is one of my favorite moments of the movie. It is, yeah. It is. It is. <clears throat> let's be clear. For a movie that is not a slasher movie, because th- it's not, uh, this movie does tick a lot of slasher movie boxes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, person out in the middle of nowhere who knows that there's someone outside getting outside of their vehicle and saying something really stupid, that's a slasher movie cliche. I'm sorry. Oh, totally. If, if it was me, I would have just started the car up and drove off. And get the hell out. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're going to have to do this some other night, honey. <laughs> so Duffy kills uh, the student and the teacher. Yeah, Duffy, Duffy kind of goes berserk. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the police visit Sam with a search warrant. I know because they they're they're looking for Duffy. And yeah, and at this point, I have to admit that as much as I like to make fun of the cops in movies like this, this one actually makes sense. We're just like, okay, we don't know where he is. He's not at his house. We're hunting everywhere we can think of where he might be. 
So Sam and the police are looking for Duffy. Uh, we have a fake-out chase scene with Lauren that makes no sense. Oh, yes, because uh, she's got all the books. She's leaving. Yeah. And we have this long, like, three-minute scene where she feels like she's being chased. And she's looking for behind, and a guy comes up in front of her going, You left this. And it's like... It's a useless really? sequence. It's, it's stupid. Po- it's pointless. It's one of those things that almost feels like filler or something that they felt like the movie needed another, like, scare beat or something. Yeah. And out of nowhere, Sam shows up and gives her a ride home. <laughs> yeah, literally out of nowhere. Uh, Lauren can't find Debbie. She takes a shower. No nudity. Uh, there's a Spuds McKenzie. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's stop there. The tone in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that's just what it is. Not looking forward to it, just noting that there's no nudity. Oh, okay. All right. Want to make sure. Want to make Italian sure. movie. I know it they're is. They're famous strange, for their right? shower scenes, especially if Edward Finch is in the freaking movie. Of course, but, obviously she's not, but you know. but no, no. But it, but it is one of those strange things where, by the late '80s, it it had suddenly the the whole uh, making sure that you got nudity shoved into every film that you could had become something that was now hurting you in a way. Yeah. So it was something that you either put it in the film with the knowledge that it's going to be edited out, or you just leave it out altogether. And I'm not sure where we fall on this. Considering what what her future career was, I'm pretty sure she would not have wanted to do any nudity. Possibly, possibly. Yeah. Which is fine. I don't, I don't, I don't really think you think of it either it, way. I just it doesn't do anything to the story at all. I just think it's funny that you have a shower scene in a horror movie and there's no nudity because that seems like in a horror movie it's like a trope. Like if you yeah. do that, you're doing that to, to have show some nudity. Some nudity. Yeah. Because you could have really not even had the scene, and it would, and it would not be have been missing on the movie. Yeah. It'd be the same movie. You yeah. could have her brushing her teeth, and it'd be the same scene. Yeah. The only cool thing about that is there's a Spuds McKenzie surfing poster on the wall. Well, let's talk about the fact that at, cer- at a certain point in the movie, there you can actually see an avoid the noid poster in the background. Yes. Which is which just at screams. The voice. Yeah, it just screams late eighties. That's yeah. that's exactly that kind that that ad campaign for freaking Domino's Pizza was something that you could not avoid in that period of time. I mean, they spent money to actually have, like, claymation cartoon freaking... Well, cl- claymation commercial sport, for God's sake, so... Eh. Uh, so Debbie shows up in the bathroom. Looks like shit. Yep. Sam finds Duffy at his house. And Duffy definitely looks like shit. Big question. If the cops are looking for Duffy, why is there not somebody there staking out his fucking house? That's a fine question. Once again, uh, Florida cops, apparently not always the best. Florida stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Duffy starts to attack, but he stops and hands Sam a gun and says to kill him. He attacks Sam again, and Sam shoots. Uh, Then we cut. uh, Sam calls Etheridge. Duffy's dead, and he won't give him the body to do an autopsy. Uh, which which seems a little odd. You'd think you'd want to know what the hell's going on here. I think an autopsy is required. He's not even really suspicious of Etheridge at this time. Which is which is another odd thing. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe we as an audience are a little bit, but otherwise no. So we cut to Sam clearing out Duffy's desk. Obviously, it's yes. not going to be the same night. <laughs> well, you would you would think, but. The, the logic of this tell. film the logic of this film is questionable from Jump Street so I'm not sure uh, the secretary whoever it is mentions warning Duffy about not smoking in his bed yeah yeah at this point in time we have no clue what they're talking about another person walks up and they debate a paper headline Halloween monster stalks campus and just below it reads radio station helps Hispanics <laughs> so you're reading the le- you're reading the other stories. In the newspaper? It's just right there at the bottom of the screen. I mean, it, 
Are you curious what it says? I just have to pause it. Oh, yeah, I'm curious, but I don't remember it. Holy crap. It's just because it's so ridiculous. I even know that radio stations help Hispanics. Good Lord. Okay, okay. Let's. let's, (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Well, let's take note of the fact that this is not the first mention of the Halloween party, the Halloween dance that the movie has thrown at us. So by this time, by the time it's amendment, if something's mentioned twice in a movie, we're going to go there. We're going there. That's yeah. where the movie's going to end up, right? So we're eventually going to have a sequence that takes place at this Halloween party. And, hey, they've gone out of their way for a film set in Florida to make sure that we're aware of the time period. We, we know that we're deep into this fall semester. So the fact that there's going to be a Halloween party shouldn't be that much of a shock. Plus, they've kind of been leading us toward it. But I don't think anything sets us in place, gets us ready for this over-the-top Halloween party. Oh, people, you're going to love this. I have been to college Halloween parties, and I can tell you right now that this is one of the most extravagant costumed balls I have ever seen in my life. I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, Okay, so back to the movie. Laura comes to console Sam at the office. He's not very accepting of it, but she mentions the bite on Debbie's neck, and Sam realizes it's from Duffy, and he wants to go see Debbie. Yeah, let's go check her out. Make sure she's uh, make sure that this is not the kind of thing that's going to happen a second time. So as they're walking into, into Lauren and Debbie's apartment, I did realize there was a life-size cutout of what I believe to be Bartles and James in the background. Really? The two the two guys? The, yeah. Wow. I didn't, I, just, I didn't see that. See, this is what you get for doing a movie where you have to do five minutes. You notice all these stupid, ridiculous details <laughs> about things. <laughs> here's the thing I mean and this is something that you know if you're if you're listening along you've definitely picked up on this one of the joys of watching a movie like this especially one produced by people who are not Americans is that this weird window into American culture at the time the film was made because as much as we are fascinated by the things that were happening because I mean we were there I mean we were alive at the time this movie was made Decades have gone by, and so I mean, we're talking 30 plus years later where you're looking at this and you're going, Oh shit, I didn't remember that. For instance, I hadn't thought about the fucking Noid in forever. Yeah. And I was happy not thinking about the Noid. I was perfectly content to not think about Avoid the Noid. But then in the last scene, you get to see the Noid poster in the independent voice. <laughs> and it's just like, you know what? I don't know if I'm happy or sad that I'm reminded of that. I can't believe that I remember Bartles and James, so. That that was a that was a, that went on for like a decade, didn't it? I mean, there was like so. a period of time. There was a, a strong, long period of time where the Bartles and James thing existed, and it's just like and you drink one and you go, oh, it's like super sugary, like alcoholic beverage, and you move on. <laughs> you just you go on with your life, right? Yeah, I never. I, I was a little too young for that kind of stuff. It was already getting out of vogue by the time I could actually be of uh, drinking age. Ah, he says. Emphasizing his youth. Fuck you, man. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I had a Zima once or twice, and they were terrible. <laughs> of course they're terrible. They're Zimas. <laughs> Even as a 17-year-old, I laughed as I had a Zima. You would have to. It's a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, it's... it's. Ugh. Are you one of those crusading reporters? <sighs> nah. It's just like nailing the crooks and the phonies, you know. My dad was a crook. He got caught cheating on real estate deals until some guy shot him. My mom, she's in jail for writing bad checks. Look, I'm sorry I didn't know that. Sorry, I just thought in case it mattered. 
hell, I mean, uh, my family's crookeder than yours. Yeah, my uh, parents are doctors. But um, boom, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hold on a sec. You sure you're okay? Yeah, no problem. Must have been something I ate, huh? Never had a guy stand up for me before. Yeah, well, those guys are scrotes. I mean, somebody ought to nuke their frat house. Yeah. Underneath all that bunk and BS. You're really kind of a sweet guy. The apartment is trashed. Debbie's gone. Right. Or is she? Sam explains what happened to Duffy. Debbie is actually still there hiding somewhere off screen. <laughs> and attacks and fight. Attack. What the hell did I write? I, guess she, I don't know. I can't read your writing anyway. Yeah, I can't, I can't read my writing either. Uh, she attacks. Lauren bashes Debbie in the head with an alarm clock. Etheridge comes over to examine Debbie because I guess they knocked her out. Uh, they take Debbie to his lab. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so we, yeah, so we get back to Estridge's. Man, I can't even say his name. Estridge's lab. So, this this never feels like a really decent lab at all. No, it's, it doesn't. Uh, it just feels like a room that they stuck some stuff in and caged a baboon, and that's about it. It's like a Dollar General lab or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't really? know. <laughs> like. Basically, we got the, we got this lab on the cheap. <laughs> Here we go. Let's roll. Uh, back at Sam's place, he tells Lauren that he killed Duffy and burned his place down, blames himself for everything, and just out of nowhere, his motherfucking roommate shows up drunk, cigarette hanging out his mouth, says, sorry about that, and passes out on the bed. <laughs> no, so our gambler roommate shows back up just as a little gag, so... You know, that's okay. Not a problem. It's a little jarring if you're not paying attention to a movie because you're like, look, what? What happened? is this? Who is this again? What? what? And we never see him again. Yep, that's the end of that. Yeah. Done. Back at the lab with Etheridge. Bunch of stuff, a bunch of shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. fucking writing, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Try your best. Let, let me start. Let me start that back okay, over. Hold on. Back at the lab with Eth- Etheridge, there's a bunch of scientific shit going on. Ah. Says that it's too late to save Debbie, but she can make science history. Oh, yeah, that's right. Since she has no sound mind left, he has made the decision for her. Because, you know, now we get into the mad scientist area, yeah. Because he's uh, snapping his rubber gloves. <laughs> yes, yes, he's, he's definitely trying to protect himself from the madness he's about to induce. All right, back to Rape Squad. Uh, they're all making jokes about their infections. Uh, a couple of guys are working out. Uh, they're oh, all... I know, I know. You have these obviously unwell men still trying to pump iron. And drink at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, I guess that's what you do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's probably counterproductive. I mean, in my college days, that's exactly what I did. I loved drinking and pumping iron at the same time. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't divide those tasks up? You didn't do like do one and then do the other? You, you no, you got to do them both at the same time. <clears throat> See, oh, I get, I, you know, hey. honestly, maybe that's one of my failings in life that I never thought to combine those two things. Hey, man, Bobby lives his life on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, Lovejoy uh, rants about no one pussying out. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, now, I got to say, uh, we, we don't really see it here. We only get a hint of what uh, they're going to be dressed as. But I have to say, uh, uh, the Rape Squad, the costumes they have are really fucking cool. 
They're elaborate and expensive looking. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, the skulls with blinking red eyes. Yep. A full skeleton outfit, a cape, a headband, and I guess you. I guess the 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 cape has a hood. Yep. That's pretty fucking cool, especially for a bunch of jocks. Who I can't imagine like really wanted. You know, I guess they were just looking for creepy instead of you know effective, but they they kind of managed both. I don't understand. Yeah, I I, I really I really like all the scenes with them in full regal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they look great. Yeah, they look great. So. You know, this is one of the better things about the Halloween dance scene that's coming up. Um, so moving on from them, Etheridge injects Debbie with something. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, who knows what. She breaks her bonds, bites him, and stabs him multiple times in the eye with a syringe. Uh, exit, well, you'd think exit Bose Fenson, but not really. Hang on. Yeah. Hold that thought. Yes, exactly. We'll come back to him. So now we're at the Halloween dance. Sam and Lauren are there being lame. <laughs> Everybody around is partying and being in costumes, and they're just sitting there going, oh, our life's so miserable. Why are you here? Why are you at this huge Halloween party? What is going on? And by the way, this is huge. I mean, there's at least 150 people in this fucking thing. Now, you, you would think... With everything going on with them, the last thing they'd want to do is go to a giant party. But exactly. apparently, that is not their way of thinking. So Nope. <sighs> uh, they have some kind of life talk. Let's call and check on Debbie. They call and check on Debbie on a payphone, kids. Uh, no I guess payphone. Something that younger folks may not understand. <laughs> no answer. We see Etheridge's body with a mutilated eye in his office. Yep. Uh, Rape squad is lit as fuck. <laughs> they're dr- they're drunk. I-, I honestly kept expecting us to get a very obvious cocaine sequence where because that's there what should be. Ha- yes. there should be a cocaine sequence where these because these guys are acting like they're on coke. That's what this looks like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're 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 loving their new and infected life. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Uh, love joy screams. Let's do it. Uh, back to Sam and Lauren. They're at the lab. Nobody's there. Uh, there's a lame, unnecessary jump scare with a lab rat. Yeah. We is. never saw any lab rats before, but they apparently now, had them. Well, we needed another scary scary moment for some reason. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, some guy makes fun of the Rape Squad's costumes, which why he would, I don't know, because they look really They actually cool. look good, yeah. Yeah. They tear his car up, like actually rip the door off. <laughs> One of them jumps on the hood and is jumping up and down. And is like, yeah. What in the hell are you lunatics doing? They jump in their convertible and leave. So now we're going to the <laughs> Halloween party. This is this probably, the, yeah. This is the Halloween party sec- section of the film. So uh, me and Rod have talked about this before. We're actually going to break an uh, element of my old podcast in here. Um, he's going to put me on a timer. Okay, well, no, let's 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 take this up front. What you have to understand that to a large degree, this Halloween party seems to have been constructed as a way for the special effects sequence. Well, as a kind of a special effects showcase, because what we have here are a large, and I'm talking large number of masks and costumes that are on the professional level. Some of these costumes are way more expensive than anything that a college student could buy. Yes. Or even rent. These are good freaking costumes. These are the kind of costumes that I always make jokes about uh, 
the Halloween episodes of a sitcom where yeah. everybody comes dressed and they're in these incredibly elaborate costumes regardless of the financial capabilities of the characters within the fucking sitcom to be able to afford these things. This is definitely the kind of Halloween party you would have if a movie company with access to Carlo Rambaldi's fucking costume closet would put on. Yeah. So uh, I made a list of all the costumes I could pick out. Um, and it's a take, long list, by the way. Taking some uh, creative liberties on my part. Yes, some <laughs> some descriptive liberties, we shall say. Um, I am going to try to list as many of these as I can in hopefully under a minute. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Tell me when. Okay. Sir, you may begin. Dude being hung. Hillbilly with an axe in his head. Old spaceman. Gorilla with girl and checkered pajamas with umbrella. Ugly witch. Skeleton cowboy. Gold sci-fi outfits. Caesar. Girl with silver wig she bought from Spencer's. Shitty Frankenstein and bride. Girl with pterodactyl head. Jamaican Hispanic dude. Uh, oh, j- Hispanic j- j- dude. Jamaican Hispanic dude. Sorry. That's your own handwriting. Yeah. Hunter Thompson with yellow mask and pink lay. Darth Vader. Gypsy fortune teller with crystal ball. A giant crystal ball she's dancing with. Wizard. Guy with moving saw on head, gay Freddy Krueger, shitty Spock, Statue of Liberty, transvestite legionnaire, dude with boobs and belly on his back, shitty bunny, skeleton hillbilly doing a handstand, new wave <laughs> madam, like Madam the Puppet, if you remember that from the 80s, yep. uh, face that splits to reveal skull, ugly bride, poet pirate, punk rock mime, pig boat captain, black Uncle Sam, a fart cloud, a nose, dude with no shirt and white mask, Gimpacutioner. Gimpacutioner? Yeah. I'm sorry. Shitty, shitty commando. Three heads with faucet noses. Yeah. Giant smiley guy. And there is a luchador. Big lips, yep. skeleton cowboy with giant hat, which I think I had him earlier too. And sexy devil. <clears throat> folks, folks. Those images, if they conjure anything in your head, will give you an idea of just how madcap the Halloween party dance sequence is in the film Primal Rage. And as I said before, I'm pretty much sure they just emptied the fucking costume closet of Carlo Rambaldi and his family's business to say, hey, you know, we get we can do whatever we want to here. And to emphasize the we can do anything we want to at this point, this is when we get the infected rape squad lunatics killing people at this party. Yeah. And uh, with the exception of the rape squad killing people, this is a party I would actually like to be at. And the exception of the band. Yeah, the band ain't great. The band ain't good at all, actually. The the, the band, for for want of another term, is the fake band. The facade band. (laughs) There you go. That is responsible for Say the Word. And no, I'm not playing the fucking song again. So you can hang that up. And that song, uh, it should not be longer than three minutes. It feels like it lasts about six. This sounds like goddamn the, minutes. Yes, this sounds like the extended dance remix that never ends. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. It's over the entire sequence of this. Oh, it's 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 horrible. But let's let's take let's take advantage of this point to realize that because you have the Rambaldi family involved in this, you do get to actually have some gooey. Special effects work. Earlier in the movie, we get a head crushed in bleachers. No, that's later. 
Oh, is it later? Yes. Okay, so you get a head crushed in the bleach as as bleachers close in a gym, right? Yeah. During this Halloween party sequence, you get uh, a scalp ripped off of one person. Yeah. You get a throat ripped out, which is actually a pretty damn good effect. I was, you yeah. know, that's definitely a Rambaldi effect. Effect that's good. You get a hanging, a real, actual, like looks like a fake hanging, and that was pretty effective. You get blood erupting from a mask. You get a an, uh, you get a you get a real you get a beheading. You get I was going to say real beheading, but that's just wrong. Mm. You get a beheading that looks really effective. Mm-hmm. You get uh, okay, you get uh, a guy impaled through his mouth with uh, a spear-like object yes. that comes out the back of his head. All of these are things that uh, you know in a in a normal like. Say you were watching a slasher film. Any one of those things, the throat rip, the guy getting impaled through his mouth, the beheading, those would be like a set piece in a horror movie. Yeah. That was, you know, things would lead up to that sequence. In this, they're just all jumbled together in this freaking Halloween party scene. Everything just, is just thrown against the wall. Yeah. It's like, here, here we go. All the, you know, We're going to rip this dude's scalp off. We're going to rip this dude's throat out. We're going to do all these things. And we're just going to throw them all into this big party sequence. My favorite, though, and you, you may have a different favorite, but my yeah. favorite is the three, the, the big mask that's like three different faces. With, with, with the faucet noses, nose, yeah. yeah. Faucet noses. Yeah. And they like get, they get punctured and blood comes out the faucets. Yes, that is great. That's that to great. me is the most nonsensical but beautiful, awful thing <laughs> in this entire sequence. And uh, uh, we're definitely skipping it. Well, we're skipping well, ahead we're of a skipping lot of stuff. It. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think I think my favorite kill scene would probably be the dude being hung costume, actually getting hung, and he's suspended in air, and everybody's dancing around him like nothing's going on. Yeah, because they don't know it's real. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. I love that that's, scene. That, that's pretty effective to be Because the shot where he's just suspended in air, and everybody's dancing, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's just fucking with whatever. We don't care. And No, he's dead. <laughs> he's a dead guy. He's a dead guy. He's dead. So, at this point, Debbie is at the dance. Correct. She's walking up. A guy dressed as Baby Huey comments on her costume, and she smashes his fucking skull in. I know. I know. This is... This is don't get me wrong. I don't like the costume either. But <laughs> there's no reason to kill this guy. <laughs> uh, Sam and Lauren, are, uh, we're back with them. They approach cop about Debbie. He doesn't care. Did you... See, did you see a beast girl go by? A beast Al, girl. I've seen things you wouldn't believe go by. It's terrible. Another another cop somewhere else approaches Debbie. She does something, <laughs> and he screams. What she does, we don't know. But the, the, yeah, there's no edit to see what she did. Yeah, grabbed his balls. Who the hell knows? Uh, the rape squad arrives. Uh, they rip out a vampire guy's throat. Yeah, yeah, which I think they thought was a funny thing. They definitely did. He did. <laughs> yes, yes. He did. He did not. But yes. And right now it is shitty fake band time. Say the word, set me free. Oh God, please, please. I, I swore to people I was not going to play that song again. So please don't. It's so bad. It is. It is a terrible song. It's the, the fa- worst song. The fact that it is the the reoccurring theme song that comes back again and again in this fucking movie is horrendous because it's bad the first time. But if you, you know what? Bad song one time in a movie, you move on past it and go on. But no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to cut that wound open and just grind salt into it constantly throughout this whole goddamn movie. 
So let, let's pause for a second. Let me ask you, which song is better? Take My Body from Nightmare Beach or Say the Word from this movie? This may just be the amount of time that has passed, but I'm going to say the, the song from Nightmare Beach is better. I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is, it's, it, it's less annoying. Yes, it is less annoying, and it's used. It, it's not used as much like a fucking knife to my face as <laughs> Say the Word is. So, yes. Sam and Lauren are walking through the crowd. Uh, the rape squad are also there. Yep. At this point, they kill the hanging guy. Uh, they rip the skin off the shitty commando's hands, and Lauren sees the whole thing going on. Yep. Then we get to the three-head faucet nose-killed guy. Which, you know, still, that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a great a spectacular scene. scene. That's great. Uh, so now Lauren is running down the hallway with skeletons in tow. Uh, she gets stopped at a door she can't get through. Debbie busts it the fuck down. Uh, yeah, once again, that's an, uh, superhuman, superhuman strength given to her by this rage virus. Yeah, the uh, the proteins, <laughs> or whatever. Yes, whatever exactly. they are. Whatever, whatever, whatever bullshit <laughs> scientific phraseology we're using to, to, to get by this. Yes, people. I, I hope you're amused with this shit as we are. <laughs> <laughs> Another skeleton gives chase to Sam. He's he's the one who gets a pole to the skull. Yep, yep, yep. Another comes around the corner to give a further chase, a basketball court, and that's where he gets the. Uh, bleacher skull crushing moment ah yes now the bleacher skull crushing moment is uh actually one that i really enjoy uh even though it's not it's not the best thing it's not the best thing in the movie it's just that that is a fear that i had when i was in high school the whole the way the bleachers would close up like that i just always thought man you're gonna lose a finger to that but not your skull are you ready for the bad joke i'm ready it was his skull crushing finale that's bad <laughs> uh, Lauren hides in uh, I don't know if they're lockers or gym storage because they have like they're, they're not lockers where they're because you, you can see what's going on you can see it's like a grate yeah uh, Skeleton's still in pursuit she hits him with something I don't know what the hell she hits him with but it's love joy Knock. somehow his mask comes off Sam finds Debbie's mutilated body Lauren is trapped in the classroom, and she throws acid in Lovejoy's face. Now, which seems like a good idea. Yeah. Uh, now she's hiding in a locker. Uh, this is what I was talking about. This, these are the lockers that have grates in front of them. So, yeah, yeah. They don't have yeah. doors. They just have like, a, you, you, like uh, not. I wouldn't call it chicken wire, but it's more along. A, yeah, the gym storage was. She's hiding in like a locked area. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, she's hiding, but she's not really doing a good job of hiding. She's hiding behind <laughs> no, these. No, so no. What she's hiding behind is uh, something you can look through. So. Yeah. Lovejoy hears her, rips off the door. Sam hears her and grabs the axe. He chops Lovejoy's head off. Beheading time. One of the Lauren, magic moments of any horror film is when you can move a head from a body. Lauren recalls, and Sam tries to calm her down. So we cut to... The police interviewing one of the guys in the gold sci-fi outfits. Yes, yes. Uh, he's holding an Admiral Akbar mask in his hand while he's talking. And there's bodies being gurneyed out. Sam and Lauren watch. Lauren says sorry to Debbie's body, or what appears to be Debbie's body as she walks by. I thought she's apologizing to Debbie for 
For what exactly? For she keeping set her it from up on being, the date. Well, yeah, okay, okay. You're right. You're right. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. If she had not uh, set her up on the double date, this, none of this would have happened to her. So we cut to some time in the future. Sam is <laughs> yeah. helping Lauren move out. She's moving out of the dorms now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she finds something, which I'm assuming is Debbie's shirt. Some article of clothing or something that seems to have been Debbie's, yeah. But it's in her closet. Yep. Why the fuck is it in her closet? Who knows? Maybe this is a callback to when they first got introduced and she was digging through her clothing. You know, Debbie was digging through Lauren's clothing. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, At this point, Dr. Etheridge is back and he attacks her. Oh, I know. Just out of nowhere, this one-eyed mad scientist attacks. Where the hell has he been all this time? That's my question. Uh, Sam fights him. He throws Etheridge off the balcony. No, he doesn't. He throws a dummy off the balcony. <laughs> well, okay. A, a dummy Etheridge. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he looks down a sprinkler squirting out of Etheridge's mouth. Now, that is actually one of my favorite moments in the movie. That is a good scene, especially when they do a close-up and you can see it like squirting out of his mouth on the yep. ground. Yep. That's great. Because whatever that fake head of Bo Svensson is, it's really it really looks like it. It does look like him, yeah. It's really cool. I was actually sitting there going, how do they do that? Because that really looks like him. But uh, all good things must come to an end, and this movie comes to an end, and they leave. Not just all good things, man. They leave in the Chrysler LeBaron. The Chrysler LeBaron that you are, you're sure was actually also in Nightmare Beach. Yes, it, it was in Nightmare shock. Beach. Well, here's the thing. I wanna... hang, on, hang on before you start that. The goddamn song that lasts an eternity plays again. again. Yes, it and does. even after the credits are done, it continues playing forever. The song will not end. Oh God! <laughs> and thus we end. Primal, Primal rage. rage. <laughs> Let's be clear. I did not go into a viewing of Primal Rage with the thought that I was going to find some uncut gem, some hidden joy, some specific piece of 80s ephemera that was going to make me stand up and cheer, that it was going to champion, that I was going to call people, rape people, and let them know, people, folks, everyone, movie fans of all stripes, this is a film you must see. But, with the knowledge that this movie sucks, that it is not a good movie, (laughs) I still had fun with this piece of shit. Now, you might question yourself and wonder, just what fun did I have other than the Halloween party dance sequence? What fun could be had with this picture? Well, there's a lot there. First of all, you have a slumming Bo Swenson who's, who's, who's Swenson's doing his best. He ain't got much to work with, but he's got a ponytail, right? So that's something. The ponytail sells a lot of this. He's got right? his mullet ponytail. Right, right. I mean, he's like, he's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Apparently, I would bet money that in the script it said that the doctor he's playing had a ponytail to show his rebellious nature. But did he have hair that was long enough to have a ponytail? Fuck no, but he did it anyway. He got a rubber band and he fucking created that ponytail. And that is the spirit of primal rage. We suck. We don't have the things we need, but we're goddamn gonna do what we're fucking promised people we're gonna do. We're gonna make a fucking horror movie in which a baboon bites somebody and people go batshit crazy and kill each other. This is what Primal Rage is, and this is why we can respect this film. Is this 
the best movie Umberto Lindsay was ever attached to. Not by no, a 50 not foot yard. No, of course not. There's no way in God's green earth that this is a movie that Umber, Umberto Lindsay, I swear to you, if you had interviewed him, you would probably go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Never been to Florida. Don't know anything about it. I didn't write that movie. That was Harry Kirk, Kirkpatrick. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that there's another name attached to that. It wasn't me. But <clears throat> the joys to be had in this movie are more than just spotting, you know, Noid posters on a wall or uh, Bartles and James hiding in a corner or odd, you know, odd Darth Vader costume showing up in a party where clearly nobody could have avoided that. You know, no, no, nobody could have afforded that kind of a fucking costume at this party. But what this is, is roughly 90 minutes of entertaining enough late 80s Italian-made sleaze. I say this with the knowledge that there's not enough sleaze in it for my taste. We've already lamented yeah. the, the lack of nudity. I won't talk about how much joy I get from the fact that we get squished heads and removed scalps and a, and a beheading. These are all things that I probably shouldn't take joy in, so it's not a good movie. But it is a fun one in a weird, sick, sadistic, and stupid way. Stress on the stupid. I can't recommend this movie unless you've already heard what I've said <laughs> and you think that this means you need to see it. If you heard everything I just said and you think, you know, that sounds good, how can I watch this movie? Well, Bobby Hazard, tell these folks how you saw this movie. Well, I have to take the Spring Break Forever stance. <laughs> Which is? It is a good party movie. It is? It doesn't require a lot of attention. Yes. It is fun. It gets from point A to B to C in a fun way. Yeah, there, there are no odd side roads to, com to complicate things. That's true. If I'd have watched it when I was a kid, which I did not, I didn't watch it until recently when uh, we chose this film after the last time we did a podcast because you want to do the, the yeah, thing with yeah. the, the Lindsay crew that did the same movie and the same actors. And I'm like, okay, I haven't seen this movie, so what is it about? I actually shelled out the money to buy the Blu-ray from Dark Force. Yes. And um, Dark Force isn't known for their quality or for their sanity, but we'll, we'll digress on that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, we'll digress on that. But I was willing to do that. Why? Because, one, I want to do this. Two, I knew it was going to be funny. You know what? It is a fun movie. Now, it is. that being said... Nightmare Beach, to me, is a little bit more fun. It is. They're both similar. Although, yeah, they are similar movies yeah. in a lot yeah, of yeah. ways. Yeah. They're both similar in a lot of ways. Um, they're both shot in Florida, same production crew. Uh, almost, in certain ways, a plot is laid out the same, or at least how they do the movie, you know, because they do the annoying song at the beginning. <laughs> the annoying. You see, it, it's... There's a pattern, yeah. It's, yeah. It, could also, it could almost be another spring break movie. Except it's set in the fall. It could be a fall break movie. I don't oh, know. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I had, yeah. thought, I had not thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, it could be. Where the where everything comes to a head in Halloween, yeah. Now, is this you know something along the lines of, say, Suspiria? No, no. It is absolutely not. But you know what? If you grew up in the 80s with slasher films, with dumb movies... Dumb movies, which I still enjoy to this day. You know, people, I have Criterion releases as well as stuff from Code Red and Dark Force. Yep. I love dumb shit. 
Of course. Blood Sucking Freaks is one of my all-time favorite movies. <laughs> which, which I'm not going to stand with you on that, but okay. <laughs> so, it's fun. If you want to have some friends over, drink some beers, laugh at the screen, talk over it, it's a great movie to have. Even yep. a great movie to watch by yourself if you're not expecting a lot. Now, if you're expecting Rashomon, then you're going to be so, yeah. Uh, yeah. sorely disappointed. Very. But it's a good party movie. I had fun with it. I've watched it two, three times. It didn't cause me any kind of pain. <laughs> I'm totally fine with it. I like. I, I think Sarah Buxton is great in both these movies, except for the abortion. I know that was. Uh, that's say. an odd way to introduce the character. Yeah, it, it is. Um, um, outside of that, I thought she was great. Um, it's just a lot of fun. So, just depends on where you stand at when when you're watching these kind of movies. For me, I like it. I'll watch it again. Oh, I, I certainly will end up watching this movie again before it's over with. And, it, and, and it's very strange in that one of the joys for me of these kind of things, especially, like I said, these it's these late 80s, early 90s Italian productions that were made here in the States. They're so freaking weird. And yeah. I'm not talking about the story they're trying to tell. I'm just talking about the way in which they tell their stories. Because... There was there are all these movies that were made uh, in uh, very like in uh, the ones that were shot in Louisiana, the ones that were shot in Florida, and uh, the ones that were eventually shot in Georgia. Things like Cannibal uh, Cannibal Apocalypse and things like that, where these Italian crews got the chance to come over here and cheaply make movies in America because of different uh, different states giving them different tax uh, tax breaks and giving them che- basically a cheap way to make a movie yeah. here in the states, so they didn't have to find ways to fake locations in Italy or wherever they might have been shooting that was not the, the you know that wasn't the United States. There's an odd joy for me because these things the, the more and more of these happened as the 80s went on and went on into the early 90s. And there's a weird joy in looking at these things because these Italian filmmakers, because they're not Americans, are including things that now when I watch these movies, whether I've seen them before or not, those are the things that I get the most joy out of, which is spotting all these little odd things that I remember because I lived through the period. Yeah, exactly. But that, but that an American filmmaker would not have put a, put the camera on. The American, the American, American filmmaker making this same movie would not have allowed you to see in the background all of the weird signs and the pop culture stuff that is just a part of what was on any average college campus in the late eighties, and so. One of the reasons I enjoyed this movie has absolutely nothing to do with the story being told or the effects that are being splattered onto the screen or the actors doing their best or whatever they thought there was their was their best at the time. It's just this weird time capsule of a period of time that can only be captured by someone who wasn't an American. Yeah. And that for me is almost enough to make me watch this movie again just on its own. And I know that's, I mean, that's probably pretty freaking weird for your average filmmaker. Your your obvious film nut is probably going, that's kind of freaking weird. You're saying the movie sucks, but you'd like to watch it again. Yeah, I would, because there are enough weird elements within it, and not just the special effects, which are fun. Hey, we're movie nerds. We're all weird guys. We're all, exactly. We're all weird guys. We're all weird We like what we like, and that's kind of the thing, is it doesn't matter what you like, you, you just like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the people involved in this movie, all all of them, made better movies. Every, oh, yeah. every one of them, they did. Yeah. And with Umberto Lindsay, I mean, uh, when I when I when I think of Umberto Lindsay, the stuff that I love the most are the are the crime movies he made in the '70s. Yeah. 
I mean, he made some he made some cannibal movies. He made some uh, horror movies. He made all kinds of stuff. But with Umberto Lindsay, for me, I really really like the crime movies he made in the seventies. It's it's interesting to see, even though he only supposedly wrote the script for this, that there are some tendrils that kind of stretch back to those kind of stories, uh, all the way up to this. Not many, because clearly they were trying really hard to ape the slasher movie, but to kind of do something a little different, because even by the time they were shooting this, the slasher movie had kind of, you know, the bloom was off the rose. The shark had been jumped long before. Yeah, long before. So the joys in this movie are the joys that I think only a real movie nut can get. Yeah. And for someone who just, if this popped up on a TV channel, a cable channel, someone was scrolling through and went, oh, let me watch that. I don't know they make it all the way through. I don't know that they would enjoy it that much. That's a good point. I really don't. It just depends on what, what you're in the mood for. It, it, it depends on how far away the remote is. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about this. I know that after Nightmare Beach, you might have wanted to jump in a different direction, but I really, really, really wanted to concentrate on the fact that they made these two movies back to back. And you know what? I, I, I was totally fine with this. This, this is working up to this podcast. It's the first time I watched it. It's a fun movie, and it's so worth it didn't bother it, yeah. me. Um, I don't know what we're going to do in the future. We'll have to talk about that. But, we'll discuss. Uh, we'll discuss. We, we have talked about doing a collaboration with uh, Hudson, but you have shot down mine and Hood's uh, <laughs> initial ideas for what we wanted to do. I'm not doing Grunt the Wrestling Movie. Come on. No. It is not. No. Unless, unless I'll tell you what. If five people write in and request that we do Grunt the Wrestling Movie as a podcast for the Money Pit. If five people, five people, and I'll be honest about it because uh, I'll be I'll be straightforward about it. I am not going anywhere near that fucking thing. It's so good. No, no. It is great. I die. You will love it. There's no way it can be good. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I'm going to do it again sooner than later. <laughs> not with Grunt the movie. <laughs> five people. You said it. Five people. That's five all people have. Five people have to write in. Hud, get your right. friends. We'll talk to everybody. If you want to write in the the the, the, the oh god the podcast's email address is the bloody pit at gmail and please God don't request fucking run the movie. Oh, Jesus and uh, I I am involved with the podcast called Spring Break Forever. Uh, you can Google it by Spring Break Forever podcast. Um, haven't done anything in a while, but I am going to get back on the horse here pretty soon and uh, do some pretty fun things and get more uh, movie content up too, which I haven't done much of, but will be. Good idea, man. Do it, do it, do it. I actually might do all the movies that you reject. <laughs> you know, the list isn't nearly as long as you think. <laughs> I just got to get through this goddamn trick-or-treat podcast first. You, Yeah, you got to finish that off. Yeah. Holy crap. Five minutes after midnight, people. Check it out. Five minutes after midnight. Folks, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you again. Thank you.
G.I. 